I'll take the physical challenge. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Cali Death Podcast back once again, episode 158. I'm your host, Anthony Trapani. As always, I'm joined by a couple of resident homies. I got Casey Howard and Joel Horner with me tonight. What up, y'all? What up? And we got a part two episode once again for you guys. Uh, we got Zoth coming back. Got the full lineup. How you guys doing? Good. 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 Hello. Thank you for having us. Good. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for being with us, okay. for sure, dude. We were just having a pre-pod conversation about child uh, competition shows on Nickelodeon, dude. <laughs> wild, so Wild and Crazy Kids was a name that I remember, but I don't remember watching it. Like, I remember Double Dare. The, the intro just going, the Wild and Crazy Kids. That's all I remember. That's like literally, I, I forget who the host was. Was it the guy that's like on Saturday Night Live now? Uh, I forget his fucking name. I remember one of the names was Omar Gooding. Omar, yeah. And then I feel like one of the other hosts was named Donnie. Okay. And there was a girl. I can't remember what her name was, but if I remember <laughs> correctly, there were three teams, right? It was like, I might just be making this up now. I don't know. But it was like three neon colors, right? It was like neon pink, neon green, and neon yellow or something like that. Uh, and it was like Field Day meets Double Dare. What's Field Day, though? They would have all these little games and competitions. I don't know. I haven't seen it in so long. You have to see for yourself. I had a a nostalgic moment when I saw my oldest watching all that like a few months ago. You guys remember (laughs) that? Yeah. Yeah. There's the wild and crazy kids, dude. (laughs) Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Arnold was on it, dude. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) No way. (laughs) yeah dude watching all that was pretty crazy because having uh you know teenage kids doing sketch comedy was kind of a bold move too especially when you really watch like a few episodes the difference between the the them and like snl or uh in living color or something like that they they expanded more with the characters but all that seemed to be like the same characters over and over and over again they didn't kind of like build new characters but I'm, what am i doing we're opening up cali the podcast with me literally seriously <laughs> critiquing teenage sketch comedy shows we don't no one ever brings Just it up they're part of our childhood, like watching totally. like, all these things that you just forget about. Like talked about guts, double dare, all those. Yeah. Like those were like I was excited to watch that as a kid. Like oh, getting the sure. pulling the slime out of the flag, out of the nose, little the snot and shit. And, like, yep. I was like damn, dude. <laughs> no, no Keenan and Kel, no Zoth, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Or hey dude. I mean, hey dude, you know, that, that was fucking hey, I always get mad man. when that one came on because like this show sucks. Yeah, me too. Salute your shorts. Remember, salute your shorts was the one I wanted to watch. Yeah, and then of course, yeah. are you afraid of the dark, dude? Oh yeah. Some of those are still pretty creepy, actually. Yeah, the fucking the swing in the dark in the opening. That opening, like, is one of the more scary openings still. I think it's maybe nostalgically scary. But like I, have I was this like, weird oh, feeling we've already had this conversation on the show, but I'm going to say it anyways. The clown in the attic, dude. When you see the clown, I was like, <laughs> dude, I got to yeah. hang it. I literally would, I would be in the hallway, peeking around the corner, wait, like, is it over? No, stop. <laughs> Try not to see the clown. <laughs> Clowns never scared me. Was that weird? Actually, after that, though, I love clown imagery and killer clowns from outer space and it and all that. Crazy I just watched shit. that like last night. The other night. <laughs> killer clowns. What about Bozo the Clown? So funny. Okay, it's dude. Good. Killer Clown still holds up, right, Casey? Yeah. Good, good I, theme I song. It does. Still into it. Yeah, we were talking about that in practice last night, actually. The theme the, song. The Dickens. Yeah. yeah it's really good. Yeah. Potential yeah. cover song. You heard it here first. Hey. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That'd be sick. I, I definitely think that one holds up. I know I already said that, but that's one that I was like, because you, you watch old movies or listen to old songs that you remember being into, and sometimes it comes up short. You're disappointed. You're not in the same headspace you used to be, so it doesn't connect with you, but then you watch something old like that. and uh, Same thing with like uh, Gremlins or something like that. I still have that nostalgic connection to those things. So those movies somehow embedded themselves in us when we watched them when we mm-hmm. were young, you know something about them nostalgia uh, battleforcecoffee.com is where we want you to should we just go into the yeah there we go these are the homies i say it every episode but we want you guys to uh hit them up for your coffee we you know we all drop drink coffee most of us do and uh, it's our homies and Deeds of Flesh company. They've been doing it for quite some time now. I, f- I forget what episode we started plugging them on, but we'll plug them every single episode. Um, go over there, get your coffee, get your swag. Boom. Uh, what's the next one I do? Do we do ours? CaliDeathPodcast.BigCartel.com is uh, where you can go buy a T-shirt from us. We got a couple of designs. Go check it out. Boom. And then generatorrehearsalstudios.com is uh, where you can go do what I'm doing in a room. In, if you're watching, you didn't see it. If you're just listening, you don't know what I'm talking about. There's a picture of me in the studio. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, go hang out there. Go jam there. Go record there. SoCal area um soth where can everybody for all your situations merch and news and information where do we go zoth.bandcamp.com for all the music and merch we also have beholdzoth.com which has links to all the other stuff and then it's on spotify and deezer and title all this all the streaming things so Zoth, just for people that have never heard you guys, it's X O T H. It's not Z O T H. Yeah. For the listeners. X. 
X. Yeah, and if you're uh, tuning in for the first time and don't know who this band is, go back to part one. <laughs> Listen to that, and then come back to this one. Yeah, take a rewind. Have a have a whole day of Zoth on Cali Death Podcast. Just marathon that shit. My quick rewind with them is just I remember seeing uh, Joseph was like, "This band Zoth's playing Santa Cruz. They're fucking sick. Come check it out." And I was like, "Work night," and I was like, "Fuck. Okay, well I'll check it out." And I went there and I was like, what the fuck? I was completely just like so entertained. Just like battle solos, Tyler's intros were fucking like, they were funny and thick. They were like a cool mixture of that. It was like, uh, um, and just the bat, the battle solos for me being, you know, playing guitar. I'm just like, Jesus, fucking these are Berkeley musicians. What the fuck is all this going on? I was like completely blown away. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Um, also, too, actually, I wanted to get in um, for any of you guys. I know, Tyler, you, you teach lessons, right? Can people get a hold of you for that? Yep. Yeah, Ben and I both teach lessons. Yeah. Okay. How do we get a hold of you for that? You can go to my uh, – you can email me, tylersturgillmusic at gmail.com. You can go to my Instagram, which is they live we shred, And then my uh, official website – is Tyler Sturgill Music slash lessons, and then there's a bunch of information and a questionnaire on there you can fill out. Oh yeah, yeah, awesome. And then I got a yeah. You just look up Speed Chopper Bass on Instagram, our YouTube, or Facebook, and my website speedchopperbass.com. That's the uh, official name of my technique. So hell yeah, Speed that's Chopper. awesome. Nice. And these guys are per- very like above and beyond proficient in their instruments. And I will a thousand percent vouch for that. So if you want some legit lessons, I'd fucking hit them up for sure. And <laughs> explain this speed chopper technique to me. Yeah. I, I'm already intrigued when you said that. It's 16 notes with my thumb. Yeah. It's just like a, you're grinding like just the whole just, time. I remember seeing you while you were playing and you were just like, just fucking. It's like playing like it was crazy, dude. I was like, "Is it like this?" Okay, it's okay. Yeah. So you make just a little like pick. that. Okay. Yeah, it's just it's just a pick. You can see you can see on my thumb where it where it hits. Yeah, I yeah. Say, it's messed up. up on your nail. The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The dip, the difference between that and like a double thumb is with double thumb people go through the string all the way and pluck back, and it's mm. like pretty uneven sounding. You know, you get the attack of the one, but the two is a lot weaker than the other. Mm-hmm. So if you just tuck your thumb in a little bit like this in your hands and give it that dude, like yeah. uh, trend picking That's switch muscle, you get Jedi even notes. Grind, yeah, yeah, it's very similar. <laughs> the to Jedi that. grinder. Yeah, that's what yeah, uh, we, got, we got the Jedi very... grind over here, dude. Our uh, actually where I'm at right now at Mike Gilbert's house, he's a, a aficionado of the Jedi grind technique, and so is uh, uh, Paul Dog. If he's in the is he in the chat? No, not yet, but we might see him later. Paul Ryan Jedi from Legend does it too. Oh That's yeah, right. dude. and it's that turned in. It's like, yeah, they just like it's like when they go like hyper super trim picking. They just turn in their wrist and just you know go in. It supposedly saves the wrist for them and allows them to go faster. But um, what do you call it? The speed chop. The speed chopper technique. Dude, the speed register trademark. You're. You're chopping a cucumber like super fast, like yeah, pretty much. 
<laughs> I'm a chef. Oh, okay. Dirty one. I'll give you salmonella. So nasty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of, uh, I wanted to, I didn't know if we were supposed to talk about this or not, because I, I don't know if it's because of something that happened. But, Ben, you have lost, like, 50 pounds since the last podcast. So what changes uh, did you make? I mean, more? Probably more. It's yeah, salmonella, yeah. dude. Salmonella? Yeah, salmonella. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, I was just I was just fasting like crazy. I'm, I don't know. I got in the habit of fasting. And then I started hiking and uh, climbing, like, pretty intense, like, every week over the summer and i just pretty much vanished so (laughs) now i'm looking good i can wear nice outfits like this you know yeah yeah it's awesome dude (laughs) without looking like a balloon (laughs) disconnecting from everything and focus and and just getting your shit together and how big a fast how long a fast are you going on i fast like uh 18 hours per day something like that Damn. Yeah. So oh, intermittent yeah. fasting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just reducing your calories or whatever, but this this works for me. From what time to what so, time do you eat? Um lately I've been eating between three and I don't know, three and eight. So five, six, seven, eight, three nine, in the seven, afternoon, huh? Yeah, something like that. Between three and eight, but nothing too much later than that. But I drink yeah. beer. Yeah, yeah. So that's you know that goes all day long. I can be all day long. <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. secret to the technique. <laughs> I need to fucking learn that one. That's the fucking speed chop, my fucking badass. <laughs> Your liver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, you ever thought about shocking your system and just waking up and eating breakfast right away? Uh, my wife really wants me to start doing that because. Uh, my blood sugar kind of gets high. I have diabetes, so it kind of gets high if I'm fasting too much because my body's like, dude, you need energy. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've been trying to eat breakfast, but I just got into this habit, you know, so working you're on gonna, it. You're no, just going to be in nothing soon, man. You got to start eating soon. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, like anything else, you in repetition, your body's going to somewhat get used to it. So, like introducing breakfast in the morning, like your body's so used to not having food when you wake up, you're going to have to actually retrain your body to accept food at an earlier time because it's been so long since it had food at the time. It's just used to not eating when you're awake, you know, you wake up and you start drinking coffee or obviously I hope you're drinking water. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a healthy weight loss. Good, good. No, for I sure. I, I've I've looked at I've looked into I've I even fast. I like to fast, you know, a few days a week and and not eat until stop eating at six, you know, the night before and not eat until twelve. You know, I don't know how many hours that is. What is that? That's eighteen. It's like right a math, like math. <laughs> is that eighteen? Nah, I don't hours? know, man. It's not my strong suit. Counting. Yeah, that's, like, that's another. That's actually an eighteen-hour fast, right there. It is. If you stop your last meal's dinner at six, and then you just drink water for the rest of the night, and wake up and coffee, water until lunch or whatever. That's that's a good way to reset the system. It's good for your mind. I feel like it just clears your head. I would think that less calories would cloud my head. Maybe for a week or two. 
Okay. And then when you get adjusted, it, I, I just feel like hyper focused. Damn. You'd you'd be surprised with um the hunger signals and alarms that go off in your body, how that suppresses pretty quick after you tell your body actually I don't need food because you really don't your body's just used to you your again repetition your your so if you eat a snack every hour your body's wanting something every hour because it's used to that thing coming in every hour whatever it may be a bag of chips or you know however you choose to eat if you eat at a certain time every day it, your body's just going to want it but if you stop eating at a certain time your body's going to eventually adapt to that as well but i i like the uh six meals a day i like to eat six times a day That's me too like but not at healthy hours <laughs> i like to have breakfast within like a half an hour of me waking up and then three hours later i'll eat something two hours later i'll eat something two three hours you know the two three hour thing in between eating and then stopping at six or seven and go to bed thinking about breakfast that's Fuck what yeah. I love. Dude. Thinking about my breakfast in the morning. That's that's what lulls me to sleep at night is oh that oatmeal is gonna be so good, dude. <laughs> Do you go to bed <laughs> hungry? What's up? Do you go to bed like super hungry? No. I mean, okay. I even though I'm I may be like, okay, I could get up and eat something that I could and still be fine, like eat a piece of fruit and some nuts or whatever, but um just knowing that I'm gonna wake up and earn that that you know, I had that amount of time away from food and boom i hit it with some good shit do that oatmeal with all the berries and ah so good i can't i can't do it here well i could if i wake up early but after a podcast i kind of sleep in I'm all right like well, 10, I'm, I'm 10 minutes away from work so i can wake up later let's get into to the um, wild and crazy kid i'm just kidding yeah. uh zoth um let's get <laughs> uh we should probably because we 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 tackled tyler and ben uh, maybe jump into to Woody and Jeremy. Is that totally do your your question to? We'll just pick a alphabetical order. Jeremy, um, Anthony, do the question because I don't want to do it because it's your question. Well, it's all it's it's the Cali Death question, dude. I mean, it's really just the way we started. Like, take us back as far as you can. Throw us in a time machine. Take us back in childhood. Some early memories of creativity from family members or yourself or. You know, art, music, movies, whatever. What what triggered you at an early age? Yeah, I love this question. And I love listening to other people answer this question. Okay. Uh, so I was born on Long Island, New York, uh, to young parents in a very musical family. My mother played guitar and sang. My dad, not so much a musician, but he built stages. He built scenery on Broadway and for bands including Kiss. Uh, my mom's brother played drums. I had an uncle who was a sound guy and did sound for the Ramones. And my brother plays music. And so I was born into um, a musical family that um, kind of let me listen to what I wanted to listen to and play what I wanted to play. Mm -hmm. And I remember from a very young age seeing three videos that made me want to play drums. The first one was Don Henley, Boys of Summer. And in that video, there's a little cowboy playing a snare drum in a beach house. I saw that and I said, that's what I want to do. Mm. 
And then the second one was Talking Heads burning down the house. It's oh, yeah. a video of them playing in a house, and then it cuts away and it cuts back, and it's them as children playing the song. And I saw that, and I said to myself, that's what I want to do. And then I saw the video for Van Halen Jump, and I saw the huge drum set, the two kick drums, the excess, the, the huge sound, just everything that arena rock was in the 80s. And I said, that's what I want to do. And Dude, wasn't MTV so influential for us that got to experience MTV in the beginning? You know, we were, we, yeah. those music videos were literally kind of what shaped us if we watched that shit all the time, you know? Yeah. And this is at a really young age. This is like probably two or three years old, if I had to guess. And there were other ones too. I remember seeing Def Leppard, Rock of Ages. Genesis Land of Confusion, which is a crazy video, still holds up today. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. But uh, creepy, yeah <laughs> that that gave me the the visual aspect of music that mm -hmm. before MTV, I can only imagine how how are you going to see a band unless it was in very short snippets on shows that were like mass marketed big shows. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where it's, that's kind of where it started and me wanting to do that. And I was pulling pots and pans out and hitting them with spoons and that sort of thing that you hear people who have been playing drums from a young age, that thing that they do. Um, and then my uncle who was the sound guy for the Ramones, my uncle, Michael, uh, tried to make me a guitarist. He got me a scaled down Frankenstrat for Christmas, like when I was three or four years old. And I just wasn't having it. And I think he eventually took it back. And uh, then my dad was working for Samson at the time. And he brought home a pad and a pair of sticks. And I was I was just hooked. So there was okay. that. And then short af shortly after that, practice pads. And, and it was on from there. You said, uh, so your dad uh, did stages for Kiss. And I remember I was wearing this shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the they, just, yeah. they just they just played their uh, last show, didn't they? I mean, last show, quote unquote, last Legend. show. They're yeah. gonna be advertised now. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? They're gonna be holograms now. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, yeah uh, I never believed last tour when they say it. I mean, Ozzy's going back out on tour, and it's always the last. You gotta tour, have like right? the, like twenty last tours. I, think I know. Yeah. So money runs out, they're like, all right, one more yeah. last tour. It's just their first last tour. That's all. <laughs> Oh, Kiss has done like farewell. five. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've done like Kiss has done like five like farewells, haven't they? Oh, really? Like tours. Like a it's lot, always yeah. Like, yeah, it's like the when most the Avatar like tickets don't sell, they'll have their corpses out like puppets yeah. on strings. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, a video on their last show that I think it was like in New York or something, and it had Gene Simmons like strapped in to like this like thing that was coming down. He was like completely strapped in because. They didn't trust his balance on it. They're just like, all right, dude, yeah. we're going to hold you yeah. up and just yeah. hit the base. But, you know, I I just, I personally wasn't, I, I bought this shirt because we always make piss jokes. But at the same time, uh, man, that's like probably one of the most brought up influences for, um, you know, certain generations of people. And uh, mm -hmm. for me, I just, honestly, I just don't like Gene Simmons as a human like but but he just seems like he copyrights everything he's like suing everyone and he's just like he's always like giving interviewers hard times and shit and i'm just like i've always been like not a big fan of his personality but what his influence is 
monumental for so much music that's come out. It's one of my favorite bands. Shit. <laughs> Piss. 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 Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome, dude. So, uh, so you got pots and pans. Got the you know. When did you start jamming with other humans and stuff? Oh man. Probably when I was that's like kind of skipping, dude. I think that's skipping because we haven't even gotten to a drum set yet. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Yeah, we haven't. Okay, all right. Let's not skip, right. dude. Roll it back. <laughs> yeah, dude. The DeLorean can only make only a few jumps <laughs> during the podcast, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. So when you're hitting the pots and pans and shit, when when what's tell us about the first drum set? How is that? How is it acquired? Is it a present from the parents? Did you have to save up money to get it? What? How did that work? So my mom's brother kept a drum set in our garage because he couldn't have it in his house. And uh, this started, I started keeping it there when I was probably five or six years old. Mm-hmm. I had a practice pad kit that I played pretty much exclusively for the first year or two. And then he left it in the garage and I just started setting it up and playing it. And it was an old seventies, not even sure, just piece of crap set, um, with a kick drum, a snare drum, one rack Tom, and then a floor Tom that if I remember correctly, I was using that as a snare stand because I didn't have a snare stand. So I just put the snare on top of the floor Tom and it made sense to me at the time. (laughs) And then the symbols were just, you know, whatever was around, there were actually a few Peisty 400 series symbols, which now are pretty desirable, but at the time they seemed pretty beginner level to me. And I remember going into music stores and playing Zildjian symbols and stuff and just dreaming like one day I'll have the good stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was a total beater. And then um, the Franken kit, you want to put more and more stuff on it so that it looks like Alex Van Halen's kit or later looks like Lars Ulrich's kit or Nick Menz's kit. So you you get a a crappy CB bass drum somewhere or something like that. You get another tom. You get another pedal that's different from another pedal, and it just grows and grows and grows. And you never really want to take anything off. Also, there were roto toms, and uh, that began my lifelong love of roto toms, which uh, continues today and can be heard on the new album. Can you explain oh, yeah. real quick for people that don't play drums, like the difference of you know regular tom versus roto? Yeah, so a regular tom, for example, usually has two heads, unless it has just a top head, which is usually called a concert tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, a roto tom has one head, but basically um, it's set up in such a way where the piece of hardware that it's mounted off of, as you rotate it, it increases the pitch. Okay. Trippy. Okay, cool. And it has a very distinct sound, most, most famously known by Remo. Those are the Rototoms that I've always played. There are a few other brands that make them as well. It's one of those things that if you're not familiar with them, you might not you might not get it right away until you hear it. And then you hear it and say, oh, yeah. And then when you hear it in songs. What's, like, a, good, okay, what, what, what's a good, like, popular song okay. that would have some Rototom shit in it that people would recognize? Can you zoom in? Um, who who is... Hard kind yeah. of famous for using roto toms and popular more popular music 
Sometimes well, it's hard to differentiate. It, it's it's tricky because sometimes roto toms can sound a little like tambales or small concert toms. And maybe Casey can help me out on this one. But uh, Alex Van Halen, even though he played what are called octobons, which are kind of the opposite. They're these long, skinny drums that have some of the same yeah. qualities because they're so small. Um, cool. But Alex Van Halen, even Neil Peart, Rush, uh, Stuart Copeland, Police, at some point in time, they all had these smaller toms that accompanied their larger, more standard conventional toms. And they're typically played in a certain way. They're very much an accessory drum uh, and maybe only appear a few times in a song or not even at all. Yeah. I would yeah, say that Peart was definitely uh, a guy that I would see playing that style of drum his kit had everything in it dude it, and 360 degrees yeah. oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> what, Bozio? Yeah. terry bozio did he play those bozio? Oh, bozio. Yeah. Bozio's got i'm like sure he cream. did at some point yeah. yeah he had so many crazy kits and so much weird stuff that some of it i couldn't even identify <laughs> yeah probably got like a oh, rain oh, stick yeah. Like, <laughs> have you seen those complete drum kits of of like rototom drum sets and they have the kick drums up on the stands and everything you've seen those videos and stuff those are crazy one. Dude. like yeah. a roto kick drum yeah yeah, yeah. Boy? yeah. <laughs> cool. so so rototom probably has more attack then right it's like less low end Love more attack. yeah yeah it's like okay. all attack basically yeah okay yeah, i'm and i'm hearing like a pure solo in my head and i'm like i think that those are rotos right there it, whatever i'm hearing I'm like i'm hearing part of his solo right now i'm like i think those are the rotos well, he he, he he used like everything like octavon whatever they're called octotoms octobons and also like the rotos and all kinds of weird like kind of used everything so was yeah, yeah. But yeah, so you, you had the Fra you had the Franken kit on the Franken kit. What what's yeah. the type of stuff you would sit down and and be able to actually play on the Franken kit? Well, in the beginning, it was just whatever. It was uh, like I said, Don Henley songs or my parents were super into Fleetwood Mac, so it was stuff like that. This is before discovering metal. This is when I was like I hadn't even been put on to to uh thrash or anything like that so it was pieces of things you know i'll try to play a uh van halen part and i couldn't even tell you what it was it was more playing than learning and practicing and it's just something about being able to hit the drums that felt really good as mm -hmm. opposed to like actually piecing something together and having the attention span to do that at five right. years old or six years old yeah, I'm I'm pretty jealous because I remember when I was a kid, I was you know given the option, you know had the whole my dad was you know playing music and stuff, and he's like, so you know what in instrument do you want to play? And I'm like drums, and he's all go fuck yourself, and then do anything <laughs> else besides that because of where we were living and stuff. And um, but for me and I think other guitar players and bass players and stuff like the it's a never ending like gear whore like mission of finding different things to like change your tone and all these things, and it seems like for like building a franken kit sounds so much fun you could just like add like find a new drum or, or find a new section you can put in there and, and stuff like that, that you can add to it obviously you have to take into account touring and you don't want to have like a fucking a three-hour setup or anything but um that's something that's like 
that you know that's the inner it's the same thing with guitar players is what i'm kind of getting at it's like we want to it's like oh we have a great tone but like after i don't know six months we're like it can be better <laughs> you know <laughs> or like there's this new thing that sounds sick i heard online or so you know or something and you just want to like change constantly whereas you kind of have like a a rector set with a i just want to say a rector but there's an alternate there's an alternate joel timeline where you did play drums and then you and your dad became like a a sick rhythm section that went on tour <laughs> with like 20 different bands and that was your deal for the rest of your life you and your yeah I, I mean i've always yeah i've always the kind horner, of like the horn rhythm you, you know yeah i've always like i still I just like grow with your dad i just drum on shit all the time and i'm obviously terrible but i like it's something i've always like wanted to do but i'm almost like oh i'm 39 now i can't just start playing drums now like i don't you know it's like it just seems kind of too late. you can i know it's but then you got the whole nah, setup and stuff nah, and... you shouldn't encourage <laughs> it it's too late for him don't encourage <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh real man. Quick, Jeremy, from uh our friend ian Sorry. mcdonald at sick drummer magazine he wants you to check your uh fb messenger probably a, a nice message about your work on the new record dude because he just heard it and uh wants to talk to you so sounds cool. either that or he's gonna be like your shit fucking sucks dude no quit now <laughs> oh man no that's awesome. i wanted to yeah. say yeah the, the other cool thing about putting together a franken kit when you're that age and you don't have any money is like upgrading one little piece at a time oh totally and you're just trying to you know casey i know you can appreciate this it's like you get one symbol and it's like mid-level and everything else is crap but that one symbol sounds so good and it becomes your favorite symbol and then maybe you get a better snare or you get a better this or better that. Yep. And it's just this thing that perpetuate that goes on and on for years as you're a kid and you're just trying to make it better and better and better until you can afford your own uniform, decent kit. So that's, that's, that's like another so that, thing that, yeah. Totally Would that influence your style? Like, cause I mean, that can influence your style. Say you have like a, a, a certain symbol you like and a certain drum you or a, something you like, and you kind of like focus, like I want to hit those the most. And it kind of like kind of pushes your style into like more of tom heavy versus like cymbal heavy or like yeah what do you think yeah i've always been into cymbals and and now my style is based around cymbal work and it was that way even back then on that particular kit i had a lot of cymbals at my disposal and i had less actual drums that's another thing that had me gravitate towards the rototoms because there were three of them it's like quantity over quality sort of thing but also mm -hmm. you can just turn them and and make them super high pitched or you could turn them down or you can hit it and then turn it and then it kind of root like increases the increases the pitch and um yeah i would say just having a lot of cymbals in general and having relatively few drums shape my style in a lot of ways definitely so let's let's rewind again and let's get okay we're on the franken kit we're learning songs um what age is that? That's five to 10, basically. Okay. Jesus. So within that five years, you know, like talk about like the progression towards being 10 and like, obviously you're not going to really be passing music back and forth with your 
six, seven year old friends and stuff like that. But when did, when did you start to build relationships with people where they had like similar tastes in music and you guys started passing? Music so here's the thing. I, I, I don't have any older siblings, but uh, we had a very close family friend who was seven years older than me and he wasn't a musician, but he was doing the Columbia records club thing. <laughs> Joel's, Free grab. Joel's yeah, 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 yeah. And for those of you who don't know what that was, uh, Columbia records had this Columbia house music club where basically they would take out a big full page advertisement, or you would get this thing in the mail that said, 10 CDs for a penny or whatever it is, right? And then, oh, wow, that was a big sell line. And so in the fine print, it said, you know, you're joining this club and you have to buy X number of CDs full price over the next four or five years anyway. Mm -hmm. So you can guess what happened. Every kid can mail in a penny with their name and address and get 10 free CDs. And then when it comes time to actually buy the CDs full price, it's like, I'm a yeah. kid. Fuck off. I'm a kid. What are you going to yeah. do? Yeah. And supposedly, they knew this those, was yeah. yeah. And supposedly <laughs> they knew this was happening too. I actually did a little research about this, but uh, they weren't paying royalties on it. And somehow, it, somehow apparently it, it made business sense because it actually started in the fifties. I did a little bit of research on this. Wow. Anyway, where this is relevant is that again, I had a family friend who was seven years older than me and he was doing this Columbia house scam or uh, what was the other one? BMG was the competitor, I think. Mm -hmm. And so he was getting all of these CDs and um, I was hearing some stuff that I definitely should not have heard at six or seven years old. Like give us an example. NWA, two live crew, yeah. like, yeah. you know, mm. yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty gnarly. You know, he's like 14, 15, so that's the age you would expect. So, where are your parents while you're bumping? Yeah, you know. well, yeah, I mean, here's the thing my parents were very permissive, they kept an eye on me, they made sure I didn't get myself in any serious trouble. But beyond mm -hmm. that, they kind of let me do my own thing. And mm -hmm. and I will forever appreciate them for that. I appreciate I them for my life and everything, thing. too. I have a, the same exact feeling. Yeah. They, they, gave, yeah. they gave me enough of the leash to where I was able to kind of discover things on my own. And, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they say so just kind of let me do my own thing. And it's like, you know, if I don't hear it, they'll, they'll ignore it sort of thing. Um. Where I'm going with this is that uh, Chris, my family friend, who was like an older brother to me, one day put on Injustice for All for me. Mm. And I was probably like seven years old, and I'll never forget it. That that changed my life in one night. And uh, from that point on, I, want, I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a metal drummer. And then from then on, I started taking lessons and I was just playing with every bit of spare time after school and on the weekends that I had. That's awesome, man. Yeah, Metallica has turned the page for a lot of people. Um, me yeah, too. My dad, got, my, they, my brother they, just gave me a tape and just, just like, it was the black album, but I was like in junior high. I was like, check this out. And suffocation was on the other side. He's like, start with this, then just go to the back and check out suffocation. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah that you, was, if you were to transcribe, 158 episodes of the show the word metallica comes up hundreds of times dude yeah yeah it's amazing how how much which uh real quick though 
Metallica has done a lot of great things in their career, but one thing they haven't done is beat Cryptopsy to Saudi Arabia, dude. What the fuck? Oh, yeah. Shout out to Cryptopsy on that shit, dude. That's fucking crazy. That's they played in, I mean, they haven't played Antarctica though, Cryptopsy. <laughs> I know, but dude, I mean, they hit a spot that Metallica hasn't, and they're the band that hits every fucking spot, you know. I can't believe they let Cryptopsy in and were like, nah, the Metallica <laughs> or something. You know, it's like for like such a strict kind of lifestyle they have over there, they're like, Yeah, Cryptopsy's chill, but like <laughs> not not Metallica, dude. It's it's one crazy. hell of a promoter. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah, Definitely. Right. Damn, that's Adam crazy. The back to that guy. Yeah. I know, right? But uh, uh yeah, another so... thing. Wait, I'm gonna bring up Ian one more time. I don't know, Jeremy. Just to let you know, uh, you've been added to the Sick Drummer Magazine favorite drumming albums of 2023. Uh oh, Taylor. Just remember that. Remember that. No, it's URL. because of Jeremy. It's not because of us, dude. It's because of Jeremy. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, dude. Oh, that'd be silly. Thank you. Yeah. No, we're gonna we're gonna definitely we're definitely gonna get in the new album um after we do all the uh, the timelines and stuff. I definitely have a lot to say about it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, we're gonna dig into Woody as well. But all right, so Jeremy, let's do a little you're now an adolescent, still playing drums, obviously. Um now you talk about your first introductions to extreme metal and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like the, the, the next four years, five years of me playing Metallica and, and uh, Megadeth and getting into Anthrax and all the classic thrash bands. Uh, saw Metallica when, what was it? I think it was 1992. And I think I was nine years old. And my parents let me go with my uncle on the Black Album tour, believe it or not. And uh, just that was three or four years of just obsession with Metallica. Anyway. Um, so I'm probably 12, maybe 13 years old. And I have a friend in school that's a couple of years older than me. And he makes me a cassette tape. And on one side is Deicide Legion. And on the other side is Morbid Angel Domination. Wow. And so you can imagine which side I gravitated towards. It was another moment of this is what I want to do. And this is this is it you know like this is yeah. it hearing pete sandoval and then just getting obsessed with the blast beat and just playing faster and trying to decipher it you know like we just talked about mtv but for extreme metal at the time at that time in the 90s there there were not a lot of places to see what these guys were doing unless you could go to a show and at that point i would start going to shows when i was 14 or 15 but you had mm -hmm. to kind of figure it out on your own and so did you ever have any uh uh discoveries from beavis and butthead yeah yeah uh yeah. and i'm trying to think of what year uh god of emptiness was on there but oh, yeah. you know what it was you know what it was i might have heard that before i actually got the cassette tape dubbed for me but because it was a slower song and it wasn't as extreme and over the top i might have just missed it you know or right. and there were other things that just i just didn't didn't compute at the time you know i needed uh -huh. i needed some i needed a point of entry which i feel like that album was a good point of entry um 
just because totally. it was it had so much hype behind it and it was somewhat more accessible uh, as an extreme album mm-hmm. so yeah so then it became all about morbid morbid angel i became obsessed with pete sandoval and and uh just going through all of their albums much the much the way i did with metallica and mm. getting into covenant and that was you know just listening to that album straight for like a year and trying to pick it apart. And then and that's how you learned yeah. your technique for well, extreme I, drumming was just listening and trying to replicate. Just try, I was just trying to comprehend it. Right. By that point I had a friend or two who I had one friend, Colin in particular, who was also a metal drummer. And we're trying to figure this out. You know, you get like a, you see a music video and we, I came back around to, um, probably god of emptiness of where the slime live and i'm trying to pick out what he's doing but he can't really do it and then mm-hmm. so it's just guessing it wasn't until i started going to shows when i was 15 or 16 years old and being the kid that's like punishing kevin talley or or you know or uh, bill Tolley or whoever at a show mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how they do what they do and just watching to where are you going with the same dude who made you the mixtapes those shows no no we we never actually went we never actually went to a show together um it wasn't really, really until i i started playing in bands and um get, and, and had a friend with a car really because on long island there were some shows but you had to get there and and mm-hmm. there was a lot more stuff happening in the city and when i was 14 years old i wasn't quite at the age where i was ready to jump on the long island railroad and go into the city but by the time i was 16 uh started going to the city and seeing shows and, and then started the, playing shows uh, right here. what was like the commute to a show for you get take us down that and so into the city uh i grew up in a town called lindenhurst which is in the suffolk in suffolk county on the south shore it's about 45 minutes east of queens so you jump on the long island railroad which is um basically goes east to west it goes north and south too but you know long island runs very east to west so there are these three lines that run east to west i'm on the south shore and you take the train to jamaica and nobody wants to change at jamaica because you might get mugged but sometimes you have to change at jamaica and uh and then eventually you find your way to penn station and from there you're either getting on a connecting train or you are just hoofing it a couple of blocks uh, if it's in Manhattan in that area. And uh, yeah, that's what the commute looks like. And then um, when the show gets out, you're jumping on a train super late. And I don't know about now, but in those days, if you missed, I forget what time it was, like the 1 a.m., 1.30 a.m., you might have to wait until two or three or four uh, so damn. yeah yeah like i remember those being some really late nights and you're you know you're in mosh pits and stuff 15 16 years old you're sweaty and you stink yeah. and you're exhausted and you got to be up for school in the morning and it's like two o'clock in the morning and, and and you haven't drank a drop but you're just wasted if you know what i mean yeah so you'll have to go all the way home and then you got to get home you know like, like that sort of thing you know, where staying out that late became became a thing as I'm 16, 17, 18. And yeah, you could do that but when you're that I mean, age in and the hindsight, body back. In hindsight, that exhaustion was totally worth it though, right? Oh, a thousand percent. I wouldn't trade right. it for the world. 
See, you can't yeah. look back on like being too fucked up and drunk because you're talking about not drinking a drop, but being wasted. Like there's the version of that where you're waiting at 2 a.m. fucking hammered because you missed it and you're <laughs> going to go to work the next day hung over a shit. But really the next day for you would be going to school and be like, last night was fucking dope, dude. Yeah, that's the thing that keeps you going. Like, you know, I just went to. I just saw a dying fetus or I just saw, you know, fill in a, I saw internal bleeding or I saw fill in the blank any of the, any of the bands that were playing around at that time, even the local ones uh, that, that just carries you through. And then, and then at school the next day, my experience, you know, I didn't know too many other kids that were into death metal, probably only two or three. So mostly kept it to myself until I was, you know, jamming with, friends from other towns and stuff like that but that definitely helped me get through the week when i was just not interested in school quick mm -hmm. shout out to people and especially in our town it was a little different because there was no subway or no train there was kind of you could get to a show from santa cruz and get to a, a sf show but the, the uh older friends that would drive because <laughs> that's yeah. that was like my gateway to get to the show so like the fact that I had the friend that was like, I'll drive. And I'd be like, what the fuck? Okay, I get to go to the show now. If I didn't have that, you know, it'd be like, I mean, I would never do it, but a, a taxi would be like $200 probably to, yeah. to go to a show, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was, I mean, it was a little sketchy getting home sometimes, but, um, well, there's, you know. there's, but you know, that's what's crazy is that there's people in Santa Cruz that weren't part of your, you know, or our friend bubble down there that, you know, so basically what I'm saying is just be lucky that we came across enough people that were like-minded to where an option of somebody driving to the bay was open to you because of the people that you knew. The poorer person that got into it that was old enough to drive. <laughs> I was like, well, you're the only option. So I guess uh, we'll give you five bucks for gas or something because we're broke. And yeah. hopefully uh, we, can, uh, we can make it there. Back but, the yeah. back seat, not enough seatbelts for everybody, probably. Oh, man. I remember because of the pound we'd go to all the time, and there was, like, made so many mistakes because it was right out Hunter's Point. And that's, like, literally there's documentaries about people that go missing there. And, like, it's, like, it's, it's like one of the yeah. hardest places it's in the United States. Yeah, and, like, there'd be, like, we let's go get some uh, Taco Bell after. And there'd be a guy with a machine gun or a assault <laughs> rifle, like, as the security at the drive-thru. And I'd be, like... Is this a chill spot? What's going on? Should we should we get yeah, the fuck nah, out of here? But uh, but yeah, no, that was yeah. Shout out to the, the people that had to take. It's like when you have a truck, you're the only friend that has the truck, and it's like, all right, you got to help everyone fucking move now because you got the truck. You know, it's like shout out to those people that uh got fucked over. I'm gonna keep it in the weeds for one more second right now about the pound because uh, shout out to a listener and old friend of uh, the severed dudes. Uh, he's a customer at the shop now too. His name is Paul Frizz. And he uh, had told me the last time he was at the shop that he went to the pound and checked it out because now it's a nursery or whatever. But Wait, the, the showroom, like the actual room that we would go to, is n not in use. It's it's the exact same. There's nothing go. in that room. Well, he took a bunch of pictures, so I'm actually going to hit him up and get some pictures and see if we could show him on the show at one point. Just be like, oh, dude, check this out. It's like an unused pound. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. It's like, 
What that's like fuck? our that's like our CBGBs, you know. That's and then like the our, green room, like the backstage where we would be, is all like storage now. That's all it is. Damn, that's crazy. Wild, right? It's kind of sad. It's all right. yeah. Get out of this weeds. <laughs> Take uh, us out, Anthony. Jeremy. So, all right, now back to now. I think we're at a point where we can ask Joel's question, which is, when did you start jamming with other humans? Yeah, I was about 16 years old and um, I started with jamming with people that were older than me. And that's part of the reason why I was able to go to these shows, because during that time, I was always playing with people that were older than me. So they had licenses at 18 or 19 or whatever. And so shout out to them, Mike Serino and Mike Vinciguerra and lots of other people that gave me rides to those those early shows. Um I tell you, it was tough because there weren't a lot of a lot of people in my town that were into playing extreme metal at that time and that age. And just trying to find people on like AOL and chat rooms and in message boards and stuff like that and trying to talk to people at shows. And honestly, it was it was pretty brutal. Um, was not great at networking, was not uh, very adept at socializing or networking or making friends or anything like that at that age. And so um yeah, just just played in some local bands in New York, and uh, it was just local stuff that 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 didn't go very far. But I was just in it, and I was just doing it. Did you ever uh, get a connection with a band from one of those old school flyers with the strips at the end? You know, no. <laughs> okay, that was yeah, like there's a couple of bands that have done that on here. But I'll tell you what, I would look. Yeah, definitely. I would look, and I'd be like, okay, one, maybe maybe once is all it takes, and. And even at that time, you would read stories about how Metallica got together through a newspaper ad or something like that. And yeah. I've heard countless stories from the 70s and 80s about that. And so even at that time, I was like, I'm going to keep looking. I would go to a music store or somewhere else that had those sorts of things. And there'd always be like one out that way. There'd always be one influence on there. I remember looking at it, be like, fuck yeah. It was like for fans of Cannibal Corpse, Deicide, Newfound Glory, and and you just be like fuck dude like ah, i don't you know like i don't yeah. want to hit you up <laughs> i remember like looking at uh the cabrillo when i did music classes back at the cabrillo college and stuff and i would just like look and be like oh shit cool band cool band ah 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 all right well i don't want to i don't want to do that now all of a sudden but yeah those were uh there's you know the newspaper ads i would always look at those too just like to get you know they, those were like very present you know the it's not what do you call the classifieds just look at the classifieds people looking for people to jam with i always got a little creeped out for some reason to never call them but there was some that had like like-minded people in there but i'm like it was at the time i think myspace had just started and i'm like well just do it through myspace i don't want to do it through a newspaper it feels like a little like you might be in a different headspace i have no idea but i just didn't want to like connect through newspapers you know yeah, and it was a gamble. Like, try to think back to a time where the barrier for even putting together a demo and then distributing it and getting it online into a place where people could hear it, the bar was much higher. So you would answer these ads on message boards or whatever, and then you would meet up with people just based on what was there. You know, you had a phone call or two, and that was it. Yeah. And sometimes it could be really awkward and sometimes you end up with a band made out of it. But that's just how it was in those days, because 
it was so much harder to, even if you're a guitarist and you're doing something with a drum machine to put something together, to get it online, to distribute it and just kind of have something and, and vet each other and kind of qualify whether this has any potential or not. You just kind of went for it. And there were definitely some awkward, uh, awkward encounters that happened out of that. You know, it's hard to gauge somebody's skill level. So you haven't actually heard them play. So you were starting to jam with people and stuff. And, um, did you, were you playing originals? Were you writing your own stuff and were you playing shows? Yeah. I mean, like original, uh, mostly originals there, you know, there were covers here and there, you know, Mm -hmm. Sepultura and Nail Bomb and Pantera and all of that sort of stuff. And a little bit of death metal, a little bit of thrash. I, I always maintained a love for all of it, you know, even the 80s stuff and the hard rock and some of the glam and all that stuff. I never really dropped that stuff, but uh, playing a little bit of covers, mostly originals um, and, you know, playing local shows here and there. And then, and then like Lamore was the big venue in Brooklyn the famous Lamore where so many huge bands got their start and became mm-hmm. big. Um, and you could, you could basically pay to play. You sell a bunch of tickets and you could open up for dying fetus or DSI or whatever, and played a handful of those shows that were like 12 band bills. But, you know, you could say you did it. And at 16 or 17 years old or whatever, like I played Lamore. Oh, sure. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, was, it, it didn't go much further than that at that time. Uh, wasn't really in the place to, to tour, like financially or maturity-wise, or just, just having the mobility to be able to do it. Definitely. Right. So, I guess from here, I mean, so you jam with a bunch of bands, um, East Coast. So, when did you... So, Zoth is in Seattle, or are you still on the East Coast? No, Seattle. I've okay, been okay. in Seattle since 2010, yeah. Um, yeah, so to fast forward, uh, the first band that I played in that really had any sort of no- notoriety was Lecherous Nocturne. Oh, yeah. And they were based out of South Carolina. Yeah. And this is kind of like the fork in the road as far as my drumming and as far as like really taking this seriously because those guys were monster players eat, sleep, and breathe it. We're very dedicated to the craft. And um, joining that band was crazy. Like that was the point at which I started playing a left-handed kit. If you can imagine, I played a right-handed kit my Why whole life. You over? Okay. Casey's going to get this, and I'm going to try to explain this <laughs> in a way that non-drummers can understand. Thank All you. Right. I am a non-drummer, so please. Bear. Deep breath. Okay. So. <laughs> Most right-handed drummers lead with their right hand, right, Mm -hmm. left, right, left. And their right hand leading rudiments are much stronger. And the way that a right-handed kid is set up, you are more often playing from left to right. You think about Mm -hmm. the way it's set up, snare drum, tom, tom, floor. You're going left to right. You lead with your right, you move towards your right. However, I grew up playing a right-handed kit but leading left naturally. Okay. So I know Casey gets it. I don't know. Are you still with me, Joel? Do you get it? (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) Basically, it's a very inefficient way to get around the kit, and you're creating many uh, mechanical disadvantages for yourself. So my left leading stuff is way faster than my right leading stuff, and I'm 
I'm playing in bands where I can get away with it. You know, there's enough headroom, but with Letras, that's where the rubber met the road, so to speak. And it's 250 and there's no breathing room. There's no headroom. And like, I just kind of, I have a quick question. It. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I have a quick question. When you lead with your left, are you also now playing the kick drum with your left leg? Is the pedal, is the kick pedal on the left leg traditionally if you're playing left-handed? Usually if you lead with your left hand, you also lead with your left foot. Okay. And vice versa. If you're right-handed, you lead with your right hand, you lead with your right foot. With me, it's it's always been a little bit mixed. Crisscross. It's the easiest yeah. way to explain it. But with Letris, like short story long, I was not going to be able to get away with playing that way and be able to hack this stuff like it was too fast it was too claustrophobic and so my choice was to either get all of my right leading chops up to where my left leading chops had taken so many years to get to uh, that just gave me so much anxiety like imagine tomorrow just like you have to play a left-handed guitar from now on your friend isn't that is now your picking hand and vice versa. that was your choice to build up the other side so yeah so instead of instead of doing that i elected to just like continue with what i was good at and flip the kit around me so continue leading left but now have a left-handed conventional setup moving towards the left and mm -hmm. now those economy of motion issues a lot of them go away and now it's just a matter of learning how to move around the kit from right to left and, and orchestration, like getting from drum, getting from sound source to sound source, as opposed to everything that I was playing left, right, left, right. Now I have to play it right, left, right, left, and think about it backwards. And then what do my feet do? And then how does it all come together like that seemed like a bridge too far. So that was the point at which I said, I'm just going to play left-handed from now on. And I learned all of that material left-handed through like six hours of practice for a day for months and months and months to be able to hack it. Didn't wow. Dallas from uh, Nile play with that band at drums? Yeah. So he played on Adoration of the Blade and he played a few shows uh, with them. Yeah. And, okay. um, you know, and I, and, and, and yeah. And so I had to learn his parts and uh and then the next album when it came to writing and learning that stuff which was even crazier yeah yeah so Damn. could you call yourself a forced ambidextrous person now uh in some way, yeah in some ways ambidextrous <laughs> in some way i say mixed handed because like since then it's like a weird thing like i naturally lead left but my right-handed chops were way faster naturally so like i still yeah. had to pick up my left hand but i naturally led left so i had all these weird quirks and asymmetries that that i had to like just work out and so for a while i was just i was just trying to get my left side chops up to where they were and i'm like learning to brush my teeth left-handed and i'm like learning to use chopsticks left-handed and like all this crazy obsessive almost obsessive compulsive stuff because i got to a point where like I'm practicing left way more than right and it's not getting any better. And then I just got to the point where I realized, okay, it's, it's what I'm doing the other 23 hours a day when I'm driving, when I'm brushing my teeth, when I'm opening doors, when I'm talking on the phone, it's just like general motor skills. Masturbating. Yeah. 
I was dude, dude, yeah, I'm, on my fucking way, way, dude. I'm like waiting for I, how I could stick that joke in right now, dude. I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm a right-handed guitar player, but oh, I'm left-handed. Yeah. That thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally like this, mixed-handed, whatever you want to call it, whatever you like. Yeah. That's the most important exercise that you can do. <laughs> exactly. Let's be exactly. real here, guys. <laughs> Just uh, uh, shit. seven dudes sitting here talking about. Okay, so how do you? How do you? Podcast for this long, dude. That me and him had the same exact thought. We're just waiting to We're say also like nine years old in their heads constantly. Beat it out, dude. That's what's up, dude. <laughs> well, I, I was told to do all that <laughs> shit like like back in the day, like doing drum lessons in high school, and they were like oh, every teacher was like, Oh yeah, you gotta start like using your keys in your left hand or like 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 your weaker hand and stuff. And I still do that. Like I'm like groceries and I'm like, okay, left hand does these things, but I have like designated activities. But I'm like, but there's certain things I'm just like, no, I'll never brush my teeth with my left hand. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, or like I'll never I don't know, certain things my right hand just does that, you know. I've recently like tried to throw a baseball and football right handed, and actually I, I Are you left handed? I'm a lefty. Oh, okay. Like, what? Full I'll on lefty, left except Wait, for what? three years later we find out. Except for that. when I play <laughs> Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd, then I'm right handed. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or if I sit down on Casey's kid, I got to learn how to play that right-handed. I just uh, any right-handed setup for music, I just naturally learn that way because that was my only access. But isn't that crazy? Else, like understanding your brain and stuff, and then you know, like working on music a bunch or whatever sport you're doing, and just do it with the other hand. You're just back to square. You know, one. Yeah, you're just yeah, like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. You're like, what the yeah. fuck. You're like yeah. you're like a child again playing guitar. You're like, whoa, this is like yeah. completely like and like I can do it with the other hand. I don't understand. Like, okay, here's this. All right, and this one's like, it's like, it's like, <laughs> like completely. It's like, it's like, all right, Mahomes, now use your left hand. <laughs> so, yeah. But in drumming, like, you're you're in this style of drumming anyway. You're going to either be really limited by a weak limb, or you're only as strong as yeah. your weakest limb. Yeah, totally. that's true. You gotta be, yeah. The drumming, like, I mean, that, that's the whole point of, of doing the thing with the other hand is to, like, build, like, the, those neurons, like, firing to that. So it's, like, it's more, like, ambidextrous when you're, like, doing the thing, you know. But, Definitely. Uh, so from Lecterus Nocturne, is that where Zoth came in the in the picture after that? No, no. I, I You know, so I was in that band for, for about three years, and uh, during a U.S. tour that we did, I... Seattle was a stop on that tour and um, I just fell in love with Seattle and, and moved out here about a year and a half later. And um, yeah. And then it took probably three or four years to, uh, to find these guys. So Definitely. literally it was just getting, going to Seattle on tour with the band, just experiencing that city in that small amount of time. And you made a decision this yeah. is the place I'm going to move. Yeah, yeah. It was like from love at first Long sight. Island. Yeah, from Long Island. Like opposite, polar opposite. Okay, so, yeah, so I actually lived in Boston for five years before <laughs> I polar moved opposite. to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, Northeast, Northeast nonetheless. Everybody, was, I had never been to the West Coast, and everybody was telling me, oh, you're going to love San Francisco. Just wait. And the day before we came to San Francisco, 
we were in Seattle and I had a friend from Long Island who had moved out here. And so I got kind of the, the curated tour of Seattle as compared to in all of these other cities, I'd never been there and we didn't have anybody to show us around. So it's just mm-hmm. like, ah, whatever. But I got to see all this cool stuff and then having somebody that I knew out here. And then it was just so different from the, the grind and the pace right. of the Northeast, but it wasn't, dialed way back like the south like it just seemed like the happy medium yeah you um, could find the high yeah. energy if you wanted to find it yeah yeah and uh i was i was really untethered at that time and so just wanted to change and, and didn't want to deal with the harsh winters in the northeast anymore that just really wore on me and i decided to move out here and uh kind of start over and so in 2010 that that's what i did and um Actually, Tyler and I shared a practice space, but didn't really know each other. I was um, actually playing bass in a, in a band that he he shared a practice space with at the time. That so that's where you guys met time. was in the rehearsal studio. Yeah, yeah, more or less, more kind of acquaintances though, right? Because yeah. I was playing bass in this band, and like I, I didn't know anybody out here at all, but even so like a lot of people didn't know that i was mainly a drummer so i think it took a while to figure that out so there's times where you're showing up for jams or he's showing up for jams you guys are breaking down there waiting for the room <laughs> or whatever yeah it might have been something like that i mean um yeah, tyler, yeah we, did, we, did, we did a couple yeah. shows together yeah tyler started a thing called hail santa <laughs> and uh and uh we played a show together and I think that was the first time we actually met and, and spoke. And then it was a few years after that, his band had broken up. Uh, I was looking to do something new. And that was so the wait, time. The band was called Hail Santa or a show like you were throwing was called Hail Santa? <laughs> the show was Hail Santa. Hell yeah. They were bands you played bass for. Yeah. It was a band called Shaded Enmity. And it was, I don't even know if I was in the band. It was just like a brief period of time uh, when I first moved to Seattle. And, uh, yeah, just did that for a little while. And it was like, eh, I want to play drums. Yeah, yeah. Me and you first jammed, and it was like I was playing my synthesizer, and we're like, we're going to do like a synth metal band. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, vaguely. Long time ago, yeah. We were trying really to figure it was, it was so formative. Like, it's hard to imagine now after all this time that we put in to, like, thinking of the time where it was like, what is this going to be? I have no so idea. So is that where it crossed over though? Was in that room? Were you guys still sharing that room and then you guys started jamming together? That is the same practice space that we have until this day. Yeah, wow. still there. We wow. have it to ourselves yeah. now. And, Hopefully it's uh, rent controlled, right? Because <laughs> I I I uh I glorify <laughs> and I get really, you know, connected to the memories of being in the rehearsal studios that I had been in like i think about the storage unit down in aftos or watsonville i mean i think about uh you know rhl studios with severed i think about hit wall too like you you get these memories from these places and then they're gone for most of us and hearing that you guys still have the same spot how many it years actually makes me like super jealous dude because um you guys get this like space that you guys have charged with your energy for all these years 
and I am a hippy dippy dude that believes that the Zoth energy is still in those walls when you guys show up, you know? And, yep. and so that's really cool to hear that uh, you guys are in the same spot because that really is true. Like when we talk about the energy of the jam space and how cool it is to tap into the Zen state with your homies and, 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 that happens in this one space. And I think that that leaves a mark on that space too, dude. And, and, and maybe if you revisit that place, you might be able to hit that portal that you guys opened up a little bit easier, you know? And then, so it just like, the more you go back, the portal, the, the, the membrane between you and that Zoth world is thinner and thinner each time you guys show up. Yep. Yeah, I moved into that space. I smoked a lot of weed tonight, guys. Very beginning of 2010. <laughs> okay. With my old band. Um, so 13 years now. Wow. Yeah, come up 14. Same. Going to 14. Yeah. Yeah, really, yeah. yeah. Damn. Can we do a real quick break on how sexy uh, this pose is? From <laughs> <laughs> he's been holding it. Damn, look at that. Looks oh, like an actual dude, advertisement. How come we can't zoom in? There's no zoom in option. I know. It's like, just take a screen, what? save it for later. Let's <laughs> just the rest uh, of the episode. Later. Later. Oh. Here we go. There we go. <laughs> nice. Oh man, I just saw you in the corner. I'm like, looks like an oh, advertisement. Man. We have to book it, like selling cigars or something, yeah, or a new cologne. That's a new so, cologne. That's a cologne. Yeah, I wish it was cigars, man. I love cigars. Oh, fucking cigars are want... bad for me because I inhale and I would start coughing. But uh, <laughs> I want somebody to shepherd me through, like, like hand me a really good cigar and then it's Perdomo cool. champagne. There we is go. That? Perdomo the champagne. Perdomo champagne. All right. So like, so how do you smoke a cigar? Do you, you take a little bit in your lungs, right? You don't it's not just a, it's not no, nothing. it's all in your mouth. It's just for the flavor. I mean, but really, you, you probably take a little bit around you. You're right? breathing it. You're breathing it no matter what. dude. You're yeah. <laughs> no, you don't take it into your lungs. dude. Don't also, it's more cigar. like millennials. Like, so how do you smoke a cigar? How is it? What's going on? I like Bernie <laughs> Mac. You know, he had a Bernie Mac had a good point about cigars. He's like, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't do anything. You just take it in your mouth. Right. <laughs> you think a thought. Hold it for a second and then just let it go. You know, also, the whole purpose is for relaxation. But little, you, know, you little, hold it in your mouth to relax. But a little quick uh, note about Bernie Mac. He died at, he died at 50 years old. Yeah. So, uh, well, I know, it's a meditative thing. Uh, That's what it is. Probably had a heart attack, man. That guy seemed high stress. Oh, yeah. That guy wasn't just only doing cigars. <laughs> he was like sweating the it, whole though, time. Like, a cigar takes what? An hour at least? Actually, so. I'm thinking of Steve Harvey. Okay, okay. There you go. He's got white. Never mind. Alive and kicking on Family Feud, bro. <laughs> yeah, Steve Harvey. James He's the cigar master. James Hetfield. Oh, James Hetfield does. Yeah, before every show, he's like sitting on the side and smoking a cigar. Have you seen those videos on like online? He does that like in the crazy Metallica stage, and he always yeah, comes out. He's with the crowd. Yeah, and he's just cigar. like sitting there listening to like ACDC, and then like then they go on stage, and I'm just like, just with all the fans, right? That was the fucking. 
those tickets for i remember just looking at tickets in the snake pit or whatever the fuck they call it like it was like three or four grand like a ticket <laughs> i was like well they're not going to start like berating him because they had paid so much money they're like well we're rich so we're not the like yelly kind of people like stadium the people who get to be on the field with them to see yeah king nothing live yeah so. <laughs> But uh, a lot so, of money to burn, man. Damn. I know. So, I know, uh, right? My thought on cigars, real quick, before we move on, is this: it's forcing you to sit and do something. So even though it's killing you, it's still forcing you to sit and like think, relax. Like like Ben just said, you you think a thought, and then you. That's totally what you're doing. You're forcing yourself to. I now know that I have to sit here for an hour. Yeah, you just focus. Finish, you yes. just focus on one thing. Yeah, nicotine is good for that. That, that really hour? gets you kind of... A cigar, nicotine next at least an hour, dude. There's like two-hour cigars, the big fucking Depends. long fuckers, dude. Yeah. Yeah. A, bit, a bit long time to, to sit there. <laughs> I know, it's so like, I'd like dude, to go to a cigar place right. where you, you drink crazy. cognac, you fucking sniff it, you fucking wet your lips, and dip the cigar yeah. all that shit i want to do that one time in my life dang well it's an option those, i recommend uh, it <laughs> cigar cutter things that like they in the movies they like cut guys fingers all right so, so jeremy you, you, you started yeah. jam with Doth, and it's been like yeah I won't, I won't say it too many more times but the God damn, you guys surprised me. Or it was a synth um, band first, and then when did you guys say, okay, fuck the synth oh, yeah. shit. Let's fucking start rocking yeah, yeah. rock and roll, dude. Well, um, we did that, and then my old band was like on hiatus. It's called Falgaron. And then we actually did one last show where Woody and Jer uh, Jeremy played. And then after that, we're like, well, let's break this up. And start our own thing without the okay. other, other people in the other band. <laughs> <laughs> Got right All right. So now we're, what we're going to do is we're going to pull over the DeLorean. We got to pull that shit over. We got to kick Jeremy out just for a little bit. <clears throat> Woody's been waiting over there. I know he wants a ride in the DeLorean. So we got to fucking. <laughs> kick Andrew. All right. Now you got shotgun, Woody. Take us back childhood same old thing dude what you just heard with jeremy we want the same thing yeah definitely so i grew up in salt lake city utah um my parents are both casually musical so like my dad used to play some cowboy chords on the guitar when i was like three and i had a little ukulele that i just strummed the open strings to make noise with him yeah nice. um so I think my parents knew then that I had like an interest in music. And I, when I was about six, my mom said, all right, you have to start taking lessons in an instrument. What instrument are you going to choose? For some reason, I said violin. And she was like, choose again. I don't want to hear you suck for two years. <laughs> um, which was a good choice. If you've ever heard somebody learning how to play the violin, it's horrible. It's like a um, horror movie, yeah. horror movie soundtrack. It sounds like cats. <laughs> yeah. Favorite instruments to listen to, but I understand, dude. Like, I that, I had the same situation, dude. I wanted to play it. And my mom was like, mm, "No." I thought you were gonna say casually Mormon, 
But uh, anyway, just because you said SLC. <laughs> Anyways. <kidding>. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my second choice was the guitar. Um, and my parents, I don't think they knew what to do about that. So they got me classical guitar lessons. Um, so that's what I like grew up playing until I was probably 12. And I got pretty good at reading sheet music and doing the finger style stuff. And I had absolutely no idea how to make things up or play anything that wasn't written down. Um, so it was a little interesting when I started getting interested in like rock music and I was like, how do I do this? How do people even do that stuff? I remember I asked my classical guitar teacher, like how to play a guitar solo. And he was just like, Oh, well, if you're soloing, you can play whatever you want. So I was like, okay, uh, let me try this out. And I just hit random notes and I was like, huh, this kind of sounds like shit. What, uh, what do people do here? Um, and at some well, point, like jazz approach, right? If you're solo, you can do whatever you want, but he's figuring you already kind of know what scale to play in or whatever. Yeah. I don't think I even knew that like you could play notes from a scale to make it sound like it was in key. Yeah, I thought yeah, of scales yeah. as like, Oh, this is like the warm up exercise he made me do, but I didn't have mm -hmm. any like music theory knowledge of how it all fits together. Um, but at some point in that time period, I had like a little alarm clock radio station, uh, that I'd play the rock channel on. And I started, you know, hearing bands in the, uh, like early two thousands, late nineties, some like punk stuff, or I heard like system of a down on the radio. And I was like, oh, Whoa, yeah, what is this? I have never heard anything like that. Oh, yeah. Um, and like some of my friends from school started getting into that stuff too. Uh, so I think the first time I jammed with anybody was in like sixth grade. I finally got an electric guitar and a shitty crate amp. And me and my friends were like, yeah, we're going to be a punk band and we're going to play Green Day songs. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and we sounded pretty horrible. Uh, <laughs> I remember that crate amp. Like I didn't realize... I didn't know what distortion was. I just knew that, that people's guitars sounded different than mine. And then like years later, I found out that it had a little overdrive button that I could have pressed and sounded <laughs> like I wanted to. But it was just like, I don't know, in Salt Lake, there wasn't that much of a music scene or anything. So we didn't know how to make things work. Um, but eventually, you know, in that time period, I discovered like, oh, there's this thing on the internet called tabs and you can go actually look up how to play songs and like figure out how these people are doing things that sound good. So that was, right. that was cool. Um, how old were you when you discovered the tabs? Probably like 11 or 12. Okay. Yeah, um, tabs were tabs were huge. Tabs were like I remember getting a guitar and having some sheet music. I remember like getting like saving all summer for a guitar, and I'm like, all right, it's the seven string, you know. And I was like, all right, well, this band plays a seven string. I don't have to like tune it at all, right? I just like play the one zero two five, and I'm like, and I was like, oh, this all makes so. It's like the 
music for for dummies which is i needed that i needed to like hear something Ooh, that i was, dude, I was playing say, like that's a blessing yeah. dude for so many but for you like, looking yeah. at like classical guitar like actual sheet music it's like it's like the complete opposite almost but it's also in a oh, lot of ways no, probably no, no. i mean if as long as you have like the the timing like no. with it it's the same thing basically no right? no no the tab is is we've talked about this before but there was like 400 years of tab before there was actually written music for guitar. You know that, uh, right? up? Or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. you. I think we looked this oh, up. There's old videos time. about it, man. It's crazy. Yeah, so like a lot of string instruments have numbering systems because of the frets and because of like violin obviously doesn't have frets, but like like there is a lot of numbering systems or like for fingers and things like that too, you know? But, but notation will always be older. It's all about the both, dude like the both yeah the both no totally especially for stringed instruments like guitar you can play the same note in different places on the neck yeah and like there's a right and a wrong way to do it for most songs so yeah yeah if you've seen like tabs on this okay yeah and if you've seen and and there are like certain like i think it's the frederick note or certain classical guitar books that actually have okay they have like roman numerals for the position numbers for your left hand and they have like like numberings for your for your fingers mm-hmm. and then there's like i don't know there's then there's like number or like finger positions on the right hand like you know like like the pima shit and it's yep. like all that and it's like in it's, if it's like maximum like notation or, or like that that stuff all the information like some of it's stripped down but that books like has everything you have three different like numbering or lettering systems at once happening and it's just like at that point you're just like tab is just way more efficient it can just yeah, do yeah. all of that and and it's like the same it's just a numbering system graphing system of the same thing and then the notes are still there in both cases and can the key signatures ta- and you everything out like drum like, could you tap well, the drum? drum tabs are stupid because so drums are just like Drum rotation is not that complicated. The drum tab. Yeah. <laughs> like no, the drum, no, tab. drum tabs, I, I don't get drum tabs. It makes no sense. Drum notation should just be like notation. It's just easy. What do you use? Stuff. So when you're looking at drum tab, though, when you're recording, because there's been times in the studio where you don't oh, even know the song and you're can, looking at the... You can do it on different... Song. Guitar Pro, I just do everything. It doesn't matter. But there's like a, You can do it on Finale. You can do it on whatever. But drum, drum notation is easy because the drum kit doesn't change keys. I mean, you're not going to notate that on a... The bottom, like usually the bottom space is the kick drum. Then, the like if it's like face, like on a treble clef, you know, bottom space mm-hmm. is kick drum. The, the next space up is usually like floor tom, and then the third space is snare, and then the high tom would be like the, the E. It's, it's just like basically that. And then like symbols are X's and like different, mm-hmm. like higher up. It's, it's really simple. So it's, it's not about like where mm-hmm. those things are, it's about what they're playing, like in time. Like it's all rhythm. It's not like, Drum notation is not complex key changes and positions and stuff, you know. You're not gonna right. sharp we're playing a key, yeah, key of yeah. something for a drum. Yeah. Uh, Until you get a whole roto roto tom kit. Then you're <laughs> yeah, screwed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our timpani. Yeah. <laughs> or like yeah, some like, 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 like melodic tom percussion where it's all in keys and there's like a little F sharp, like little <laughs> Yeah, we were talking about Terry Bozio earlier. I remember yeah. he had the like chromatically tuned drum kit where he was playing melodies and shit on it. Exactly. That's yeah. crazy. I mean, even with uh, I mean, I'm doubt that you know they use this, but you know, seeing Shakti for the second time, like the notes that Zakir was saying, can hit with the tabla, 
I'm just like, what? Like, you can't, like, almost have to, like, give him guitar tab for that. <laughs> like, I don't think. It's just all do 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 Like, hitting all these harmonics with the tablas and stuff. I'm just like, that's, yeah. yeah. Indian music just blows my goddamn mind. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so back to Woody really here. Good. Yeah, back to Woody. So, yeah. <laughs> so, he's a, a fishier, not a shredder. So, um, so you're playing the crate, the same thing with me as crate. You get a crate, like practice amp and stuff. And it's got that little indent button for the, for the, the heavier gain, not just like a little crunch. Yeah. So you found that. And, and then what did you start learning after that? Yeah. So around then I got like a, uh, guitar world magazine subscription and started really, uh, you know, figuring out what kind of music I was into naturally gravitated towards the heavier stuff. So I was learning a lot of like Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne kind of classic mm -hmm. songs, um, some punk. I was really into the Dead Kennedys. Um, oh, yeah. And then I read an article about Ingve Malmsteen and I bought the Rising Force album and I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? How can you play like that? Like, yeah. how do you do that? So I was trying to, like, learn Black Star from tabs and stuff. And uh, it was rough at first because there weren't any, like, YouTube videos of how to play like that. But I kind of pieced it together. Um, and that kind of, like, led me on a whole rabbit hole of looking for more and more extreme music. Um, so I have to shout out Windows Media Player here. Back oh, yeah. in the day, Windows media player first of all had the fucking sick visualizations that they should oh bring back. yeah no they actually you know what it's funny because i uh it's a winamp yeah i got i just downloaded an old winamp um the other day with uh carrie and we were like dude i missed the visual the visualizations on there because that was so much fun and we found this like pack of it's like still i have it on my computer it's what i listen to mp3s now like it's it's there still and it's like there's newer updated ones that go through like a thousand different visualizations as you listen to a song and me and carrie were like sitting there and cracking up at like some of the throwback visualizations we'd see like of the the rings and like the squares would come in and like the, the things we used to watch back then were, that were important to us like winamp skins like what's your skin dude on your winamp dude you know like <laughs> that was like a whole thing and back then and it's, it's still there it doesn't run anywhere near as efficiently as uh as like some of the other players nowadays but it's it's still kicking you know it, so it really whips the llama's ass <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no there's there's ones in there that you're like whoa dude it's like it's literally it's kind of like a fun throwback to do it doesn't the first time i installed it it was like oh error and all this like shit that was going on i'm like okay well, maybe it's kind of a you know maybe windows 98 uh <laughs> applications aren't the best for uh for nowadays but still it's still there and you can do a little throwback if you guys are in the mood hell yeah i'm gonna revisit that because yeah i'd spend hours just like listening to music and watching the visualizer yeah but uh i specifically like so they used to have a a search function too where you could like look up different artists online kind of like itunes but i think before itunes uh on there, I found like Children of Bodom and some Mellow Death stuff. And I was just like, whoa, I've never heard anything like this. Um, growing up in Salt Lake, nobody listened to that kind of music. Yeah. Um, 
but I was just like super into it and was trying to learn it. Eventually, once I got to high school, I met like two other people who liked metal and were like, oh shit, you actually know these bands. So we would kind of like try to play together at first, just trying to play like Slayer songs and stuff. But eventually I remember I heard like Nile, Annihilation of the Wicked. Um, and that just like blew my mind. That one's actually and, more frequent than you would think too. Annihilation has been cited as something that pushed people into the extreme on all the people that we've talked to on the show. Annihilation for some reason. And and bringing it back to Ingve, um, there's a Dean Lamb, Archspire, hilarious dude, has a funny channel. Um, shout out to him. He uh, did, it's like a 40 second clip. I haven't pulled up, but about Ingve because he was recently interviewed and stuff. And he, uh, you know, Ingve's got that bravado, that cockiness that we yeah. all we all need from him. Kind of, it's like we don't want him to be like nice. <laughs> like, but uh. This is it's only 40 seconds. It's one of the funniest fucking things. Um I've seen. <laughs> but uh listen listen to this. This is so fucking funny. Shout out Dean Lamb. This is check out his channel. I think this is my so favorite part of the interview that. here. I remember the first record yeah. I picked up. It was D minor concerto. Favorite part. And I'm like, oh no, sorry, that's mine. <laughs> oh, God, you fucking jerk. <laughs> <laughs> this dude he's like i remember the first time i heard Dan oh talk, man my almost any account like the most prolific and amazing composer of all time and he plays a riff and it's his riff and he goes oh sorry that one's actually mine i can yeah exactly i i confused myself with bach <laughs> oh my. i mean that's that's a bit for sure <laughs> that's so good dude this is yeah, like, he had to know going in. He's like, oh, sorry, that was me. They're not not Bach. <laughs> yeah, dude, what a fucking ego, bro. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying anything about Ingve because obviously I've enjoyed a lot of his shit too. But we're gonna he's always gonna had step that on a dead man who's <laughs> one of the greatest fucking composers <laughs> that we know of today. At the same time, though, you want, like, we've talked about this before, like, you don't want Ingve to be, like, a nice, like, respectful dude. Like, you know him as kind of, like, an arrogant asshole. And that's, like, like, I remember with uh, Matt Satello um, from Decrepit, like, as a kid, like, got to meet him, and he's just all, like, he's, like, a little kid, like, wanting him to sign his Rising Force album or something. And he's just all, like, no, I don't, I don't do that. Just like totally, was like fuck you, like I'm out of here. <laughs> like he's like a little kid, like like really like soaked, stoked on him, and he's all known. I'm like that's that's an autograph right there, dude. You got like yeah. this by Ingve. <laughs> like <laughs> it's from an era too, you know. Yeah, this it's like, also no, an no, era no. that makes all those gold chains cool and all the <laughs> yeah. the like poofy, you know, shit. <laughs> when I saw him, I we've talked about this before too, but when I saw him a few years ago. He was selling signed um used uh ferrari steering wheels that he used in his ferrari oh uh, yeah dude. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like damn dude that's he's like yeah i drive ferraris this is my old steering wheel it's 900 if you want the old steering wheel that i drove and my signature on it but anyways um amazing i mean he blended the classical you know he pretty, pretty much made neoclassical correct would you say i'd say okay now that I uh, know a little bit more about it, uh, mm -hmm. he ripped 
uh, I won't say it, is heavily influenced by Uli John Roth from the Scorpions okay. oh, yeah. and Richie Ooh. Blackmore. Oh, yeah. Okay. Those guys okay. are, yeah. But, like, if you listen to that uh, solo from Sales of Sharon by the Scorpions. Yeah. Oh, for that, sure. Yeah, yeah. I know you're talking about. Yeah. That, like, is Ingve before Ingve. Yeah. No, that's true, man. Like, I mean, like, that ne- ne- neoclassical rock metal stuff, like, <clears throat> I mean, J- Jimi Hendrix wasn't really doing quite that. It was almost like even even like Brian May a little bit, dude. Oh yeah, and like, yeah, for know, sure. Um, just yeah, dude. I mean, like then that taken to like a more shreddy level, faster, more ar- ar- arpeggiato, arpeggiated, <laughs> arpeggiato, uh, arpeggiato. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't know. But yeah, dude. I mean, dude. There's so there's so much good shit from the '70s that like, and then even like like th- of course Thin Lizzy and stuff, but like. Yeah, dude, the Scorpions, man, Jesus, in the seventies, like, whew, yeah, shreddy guitar magnificence, dude. That was like totally like neoclassical style, you know. Um, of course, Uli Roth, and and of course Richie Blackmore, then Deep Purple, and all that too. But I don't know, just saying. And then of course the eighties, it was just all that. But yeah, like was Yingve like in the late seventies? Like what? I, I can't remember. Like when when did he start putting no. out albums and stuff? What was his first release? I don't even know. I want to say it's early '80s. Well, Randy Rhodes like, too, then. Yeah. Yeah, for so sure. I guess Randy Rhodes old. That's all. Yeah. But uh, you, you were talking about '70s yeah. stuff. I, I've, I'm glad I found it quick enough. Uh, in '76, the Land of the Midnight Sun, Al Di Miola. Yeah. Yeah. That's like okay. a whole different so, kind of shred, which is like even so, earlier, but actually. Sweet Golden Dawn. The the song, which is I think it's like the fifth track on that. Uh-huh. It's only six songs on that. The fifth track, "Sweet Golden Dawn." There's no denying that Jarzen Beck wasn't listening to that shit. Oh, totally. It literally is spastic ink. Ingve's been so he's been active since '78. Okay. So uh, he got signed to Shrapnel Records in '82. So yeah, shredding. Thinking right? about shredders that have been influenced by early shredding and the. It's 70s. crazy, but like how the like neoclassical shredders are a little different than like the more like technical fusion kind of shredders, or even like Holdsworth mm-hmm. and those kind of guys. And Jarzen Beck just could do everything, kind of. But like, he he kind of he like fits into that more like, you know, avant. I don't know how to say it. like like or no uh, progressive shredder kind of dudes like you know fusion yeah. not like fusion but like in that range but 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 Yingve was like straight <laughs> neoclassical just it's not he's playing in like odd times and he's not really focused on that you know he's just got the you know that mm. and uh, I think of course cacophony and Marty Friedman yeah. Jason Becker of course and all that yeah 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 and of what course Jason weird... Becker was covering you know Black Star in high school and that, that classic weird movie. style of music to be like all my competitors are dead you know, like, I'm, <laughs> oh my all the people that I'm, I'm like trying to be, I'm trying to watch. Oh, you mean like classic? Oh, okay, I was like, wait a minute, what do you mean? Oh, okay. no, there was the, the classic with uh, with Dimebag Daryl, remember on uh, Pantera 2, the second video where he goes up to, to Ingvay's and so like, you want some donuts? He's like, I don't want any donuts. Like, I'll, I'll sure? eat donuts. I don't fucking eat donuts. Yeah. It's just <laughs> so funny. <laughs> That's so like good. one of the funniest things ever. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. But uh, so you so you got into that. So you heard uh, you know, 
Ingve moving on from there. So you've already had a classical background because classical uh, acoustic guitar, correct? So it was going from there to electric. And when did you start? When, once you hit that button, I probably talked about this again. I feel like I'm in a circle. Um, so you starting to jam with people because you already had a, a musical understanding, correct? At this age. Yeah, for sure. So I had like one friend, uh, JP Macero. Shout out to him. Uh uh, when we were in middle school, we would uh, jam together and play like Slayer and some Metallica and stuff because, you know, we might have been into the Ingve, but we couldn't really play it yet. Yeah, um, yeah. We actually got in trouble with the police because he texted Slayer lyrics to somebody else in our class and they took it seriously as a death threat. Whoops. So <laughs> that's a. Uh, Stupid story from my upbringing. <laughs> so you guys had to have proof that, oh no, it's from a band. Check it out. They're called Slayer. Probably the yeah. police officer's like, I fucking know this band, dude. Yeah, I think they were just pissed off. They're like, I'm wasting my time on these fucking kids. But uh, yeah, I started jamming with him. And then later, like in high school, um, I met some other people who were into metal or like, into weird music um so my friend cody plays drums uh he's actually he jammed with me and tyler in a previous band before zoth was formed uh but he was super into primus and king crimson and all this weird shit so we oh, would yeah. try to like play that together um so, like prog weird experimental stuff yeah and some some metal too called? just kind of all over the place no name we were just jamming at that point okay no recordings like, or anything like that unfortunately no um i have okay we did try to make a tech death band when i was in college uh i do have some recordings from that that will probably never be released because they're not good <laughs> <laughs> but we were trying yeah but there may be one day that you, you know, just release them for fun, right? Yeah. 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 Once once Zoth conquers the world, like people are gonna need these to their collection, correct? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. I'm not so, uh, guy. so what kind of tech debt though? What was it? What was the influence behind like what was the style? Um I was really I found uh, the Nihility album by Decapitated. Oh, yeah. I was, yeah. like, super into that. Um, and I also heard, like, you know, Necrophagist mm -hmm. uh, sometime in, like, late high school, which also kind of has the neoclassical thing going on. Totally. And is super brutal. That and then uh, Planetary Duality by The Faceless. Those were, like, yeah. the big inspirations. So it's kind of trying to do something like that um i didn't since i came from like a more structured i guess uh background with the classical guitar i didn't i never really like thought about writing music by myself for a long time growing up it was always just playing other people's music mm -hmm. so um you know it's a very different skill set uh especially trying to write tech death so i think you know to anybody out there who's trying to get into it that's songwriting is a skill that takes practice as much as playing the music does 
So mm -hmm. just write a lot of songs and don't be afraid to throw out the bad ones. And exactly. Yeah. Totally, dude. Yes. I mean, we've, we've also met dudes that totally are happy with being guys that do just play music that is written by other people, but they play it flawlessly, you know? Yeah, but and, that's normal. No, I'm just saying because when he was saying that, that it was just like he was playing other people's music, I thought about a few dudes that we've talked to on the show that are those types of players, but they're fantastic players. And when they do play other people's music, they they do it to the fullest. You know, there's it's flawless. That's it seems like it's not. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying that that all, all I was saying it, it might have sounded weird. I was putting it up, but uh, no, that's like normal to the cohesive egg that is like this creation. And like it was kind of interesting, like Joel and I back in the day doing Odious and Decrepit, like that Odious was our egg and Decrepit was Matt's egg. And so we would mm -hmm. just like, mm -hmm. like, oh, when we we're playing his egg, we would like, oh, that's that egg. And it was like you have a different role. Then you like, right. write your own shit. It's like so, you know, so I just think that's kind of cool. Like, but also like mm -hmm. totally. taking other other people's art and being like, oh, I'm going to be this role in this, and then I'm going to stand back and and help and be part of it. But I'm not going to be. I'm going to like let you have your creative vision and like and totally yeah yeah and and, yeah. and participate and just you yeah. know that whatever part you're playing to let that egg shine, right. you're you're exactly. doing that. You know. That's what totally. it's, it's okay. It's cool. It's you know. Hell yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So you met so, so so did you have any like scholastic stuff? What do you after uh classical? Um yeah, I so I have a music degree. I went to uh Berkeley. Berkeley earlier. <laughs> fucking, I, yeah. I knew one of you guys had to have gone to Berkeley. And you guys <laughs> I mean maybe you have Jeremy, Tyler, and Ben have been too. I don't have no idea, but you guys are all like, I was like, these guys are. Fred, didn't we talk about that? Ben and, <laughs> I, have, went to, ben and I went to Musicians Institute. Oh, am I? Oh, okay, right. okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. That's what it was, yeah. Yeah. yeah I no. went to music school, but I, when I was in Boston for five years, I played with mostly Berkeley guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're right around that area. Yeah. So yeah. You, nice. So, um, Beautiful. so, so what do you, were you originally, where are you originally from? Uh, I was born in Washington D.C., but I grew up in Salt okay. Lake City. Okay, then you so you basically were like, you know, I'm into music. Um, Berkeley's, you know, that's the that's the place if you want to, you know, it's like the the Harvard of music. So you basically got. How did you get to to Berkeley? Wait, before you get to that, now that you brought up Washington D.C., yeah. we have another East Coast to West Coast jump that's huge. What what age were you when you came to Salt Lake? I was, I think, two and a half or three. Oh, okay. So, so how many Slayer songs did you play? All of them. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. So, what did you say? So, the what was the Berkeley question? Sorry, Joel. I don't know. You fucking ruined it. And I forgot. No, I didn't ruin it. You I just wanted to know that part of his fucking life, bro. <laughs> um no no because you're in salt lake city and then you went salt lake city to the east coast to berkeley so how did you make that jump was it just like fuck it this is i'm all in with this or is it like i got a scholarship or how, how did it work 
Um, I was a pretty one track minded person once I hit like 14, I think. And I was like, I am only interested in playing guitar mm. and everything else is not important. So I knew that I wanted to go to Berkeley as soon as I heard about it. Um, and I pretty much just practiced a lot in high school and auditioned and got in and I didn't apply to any other colleges. I was kind of like, that's it. Yeah. Um, probably not the smartest game plan for anybody else mm-hmm. out there, but it worked out for me. Nice. You have an insane talent. Might as well like see it through, you know, it's like, right. yeah, I don't know. You guys are insane. So might as well push it to the next level. If, um, I mean, that's one thing I've loved about you guys and we'll get into it later, but it's just the, you know, I, I would see people like you guys with all of your talent in this band and to jump to like bigger bands, be like, oh, I'm just going to join this band, join this band because I need someone. And you guys are like kind of like this cohesive, fuck it, fuck all that shit. We're going to we're going to do this. And we have like more talent than most all bands that are out there. And that's part of the 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 Zoth thing that I'm just like, I'm fucking all in, dude. This band, this band is like they are committed to doing their fucking their path. And if Slipknot hit up Jeremy or if, you know, Slayer hit up Tyler for a reunion, you guys would be like, fuck off. We're, we're doing the Zoth thing. You know, I, I kind of feel that from you guys. I feel like that's like you guys are doing the no record label thing. And man, it's yeah. Anyways, we'll, we'll get into that. But so you jamming with with Tyler and stuff. So how did that progress into Zoth and in the next step? Yeah. So when I graduated from Berkeley, I moved to Seattle because I got a job teaching at a music school here um, that Tyler also worked at. So that's how we met. Um we didn't talk for a little bit because we're both kind of grumpy, uh, antisocial guys, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, at some point, uh, Tyler was wearing a Balsagoth shirt. And mm. I was like, oh, sick. I love that band. Hell yeah. Um, and I think we kind of bonded over this love of a weird, obscure, uh, symphonic black metal epic cosmic band with narration for vocals um and actually so my friend cody who i grew up playing with was my roommate at the time he filled in for drums for falgron tyler's band at the time um and then well they were kind of on hiatus uh me tyler and cody had a metal cover band called medieval eternity where we played like carcass and just anything like death carcass covers um which was pretty fun king diamond uh, Man of war <laughs> yeah just like all over the place metal covers uh and we you know played well together so i think we kind of touched on this but i played the last show that falgron ever did with jeremy on drums uh and then we decided to found Zoth. So what year was Zoth founded? Twenty fourteen? Uh, yes. Okay. Definitely. Ben just took off his oh yeah, he's <laughs> there he is. 
Okay, one more time. Appreciation of uh, Ben's pose. Can we? <laughs> Chop Daddy's back. Chop Daddy is back, dude. That's what's up, dude. Uh, that's so I good. Speed my chopper any day, dude. <laughs> as long as you pay the price, which is uh, I don't know, five bucks or something. I don't yeah. know. That's a good deal. Like Brent, a... t- t- tell us how you do it. What, what, what's your secret? Yeah. The secret? You, dude. you take that thumb. You fucking oh, okay. Oh, okay. Turn it. Oh, all right. Damn. So is that is that a str- is, just basically in that one side of your nail? It's kind of like a little dirty. So it's string grime that you're just grabbing, right? Just right on the edge. Oh, okay. Okay. You just bounce the ball. <laughs> just bounce the ball. Yeah, just bounce the ball. That's all it is. <laughs> okay. So oh, now shit. that we're back up to where everybody's in the band, let's fast forward to you Go know what what's been going on since january of what will we say 21 or was it 22 21 22 okay so january of 22 it's, it hasn't been 100 episodes since then has it oh shit we're in december yeah of course it has been almost we're about to be january around the corner all right so it's been a year um i i i have a feeling that we probably talked about stuff that was already being written for this album at that time am i correct were you guys already starting to work on this one a year ago yeah um i mean yeah tech like the oldest song on the album like i was writing it like while we were recording the last one (laughs) yeah um so you guys already had stuff ready for this or not ready but working for this album since the previous episode right yes that's sick dude to hear that like the beginnings of this album that we're here talking now to talk about now on the episode which is a killer fucking record it really is thank you very surprised i mean I was surprised by you guys when Joel brought you to my attention, you know, a year ago when you guys were going to come on. And then I was re-surprised again at what I was listening to. I I had a, a killer time listening to the record this week, dude. I really do applaud you guys. Like I, oh, yeah. The reason, the reason why we're so easily ready to have you back on for another episode is because we truly are fans of what you guys have done and and are we definitely are loving this new album so yeah i just want to applaud you guys for a minute and say kudos for being a band that came into my life because of the show you know and making me pay attention and then again here's another time where you yeah made me re-pay attention i had to folk i i brought my focus back on and you guys that. are like a like a rad breath of fresh air like this rad artistic like true to your thing kind of thing and like i showed my roommate and stuff and we've been you know friends since high school and stuff and it's not you know he's hard to impress you know he's just like i've heard it all this kind of stuff but like dude look at this art 
and look at this shit and he's just like oh what the fuck like and he like loved it instantly you know and so it's just like, like a, a well balanced like, yeah you know it's a well balanced like serving of all the cool aspects of metal music that i love plus more you know it, it has it truly has a a zoth flavor yeah, like you know what i'm saying i i really i truly feel like the unique originality when i'm listening to it and and i love the mix of the new album too i i actually didn't even do any research to see where you guys recorded it if it was still in-house i don't know but we like i like to get into that too but before we get into that i just want to finish where i i really truly am impressed with what i've listened to once again um i think it's thoroughly executed i think it's well planned out um you can tell that that you guys spent a lot of time on it and um i want more people to find you guys through this part two episode like they did the first one i mean I'm, i've been watching the chat all night and actually there's been quite a few people saying that their first introduction was on for this, me it was joseph the, it part was, one yeah joseph got me and it's like once you get once you get zost you're fucking hooked dude like <laughs> yeah, it's mainly it's through true. mainly i mean the, the new true. album is absolutely amazing um to me it's like and and how you guys have done it with no record label like we were talking earlier it's like fucking so sick it's like to me like for you guys what was the you guys posted the thing about your fucking your band camp like uh, charts and shit it's like what was, what was it again like number one metal i don't even know like number one seattle i don't even know all these cool things what, do you guys remember what that was it was like a bunch of cool fucking stats yeah so they keep charts for just about anything and if you go to the bottom of the homepage on bandcamp you can dice it by genre by subgenre by format and, mm -hmm. and any which way you want by location and uh so yeah um across death metal thrash metal black metal all metal all seattle all genres yeah i mean it, it did really well on there it's got uh, the one yeah, it's actually yeah. still at number one for black metal thrash metal and number two for death metal still damn yeah, yeah. Awesome. yeah. i think it i think opening week it peaked at number one for death metal black metal and thrash metal and it was either number one or two for metal overall and what do we I get overall that, everything number 33 or something i i think it was top I should be looking at the post right now, but I think it might have cracked top twenty somewhere around there. It's that's it's all awesome. in the post. Yeah, I think it was eighteen something like out of the, like every for the physical on, on the whole website. Yeah, yeah, and twenty two overall any any format. And I think that um, that also I don't know how they calculate best selling per se because. I've looked at a lot of other bands that are at the top of the charts and a lot of them have pay what you want models. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if someone gives it, you a thousand dollars for an album, just to go yeah. donate and then they jump up a bunch. Yeah. Or yeah. No, we didn't do that right album. off the bat. So those are like actual folks that bought the album. Either or do you think there's people that, that will actually 
So they'll be like, oh, no, I love this band. I'm in the band. I'll give myself $7,000 and just put mm-hmm. it back in my pocket. <laughs> like, no, you think, like, like one penny and, like... one penny and buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. If if you're getting the money, though, it's like it's like whatever. I'll make a fake account. It's like my name's Bob Saget, and I'll give myself seven thousand (laughs) dollars, and then be like, "Oh, cool!" Goes right back in my pocket, and you lose. Not a bad idea. You lose. You pay some fees and taxes. Yeah, it's like you have to calculate fees and taxes and be like, all right, is it worth it to do it? Is but um, that's really cool, though, man. I mean, we talked about it in the first episode um, how you guys were very like we're not working with a label we're doing in our it's not and, and especially in this time and era it's like really not the time to like if i mean you guys are taking the right stance i think a lot of bands should be i mean you guys have, i can back it up well so that that helps you know i think a lot of bands maybe need some help and they have like maybe an image that they're trying to pursue or something the music doesn't really account for um you know the talent and stuff that they're um that, that sells but um, you guys have like the whole thing. You're like, fuck it, we're betting on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Let's just do it like this. And and seeing Isn't that chart thing, up? I was like, yeah. oh my god, yeah. it's fucking finally. Like you guys, you guys were fucking preaching it, and now look at look look at you guys. It's fucking awesome, dude. Yeah, the future long, is here. <laughs> the future is here. It's been a long game doing it ourselves. It, it it's gonna take longer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's going to take longer. You're going to have to do it all yourself and, and build that following and build out the back end of everything too. Like everything that labels do for most people, whether kind it's, outdated. yeah, I mean, whether it's the, the merch aspect of it and shipping out shirts and then, you know, managing what happens when you get a tax form and like all this stuff that has taken us a long time to build out. That, that a lot of younger bands just kind of outsource to labels in exchange for like everything. Um, mm-hmm. we, we've just kind of built that out ourselves and it's not that we're against it. It's just um, record labels are in an interesting spot right now. And uh, yeah, it's kind uh, of like a checkmate yeah. a little bit with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the folks that we do work with in various capacities, like we work with Dawn Breed Records out of the out of the Netherlands. Shout out to them. Um, it's more of a partnership than anything else. They're more of a distribution partner to get our stuff yeah. available in Europe without paying through the nose for shipping and stuff totally. like that. But we think about these things as partnerships. There's there's not like um, a belonging to or being owned yeah. by or possessed by a label or anything That's like that. So yeah. You know, the, 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 the proposition from a label would have to be really enticing to do that. And like through doing all of this, we, we have all of our numbers. We own all of our data. We know exactly who's buying and, and like the, the volume and all of that stuff. Like we can quantify that sort of stuff in a business savvy way that most bands can't so you guys want to start running a podcast we've talked about it in the works we've talked about it you know but in the pipeline when you're you're doing everything yourself our podcast (laughs) (laughs) when you're doing everything yourself it's like if you think of uh your time and energy as a pie and everything you try to do whether it's working directly with artists or shipping out merch or booking stuff or it just chisels away at the amount of time and attention you have to write, perform and play. 
And so, mm-hmm. we, I mean, we have, I mean, ideas, more ideas than we could probably execute in a lifetime, but a podcast is one of them that, that we've, uh, we've kicked I mean, tires on. Comedians and stuff. You look at comedians like they're, Top, you know, yeah. So yeah, they, all of yeah. a sudden they do podcasts and they're all of a sudden they're selling out theaters when they were barely, you know, the local improv, they're, you know, selling decent tickets, but they had a funny podcast and it caught on somehow. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. like they're playing huge venues. I mean, not saying that, uh, that's the the exact route because you guys have already kind of rewritten the route for what bands should try you know um i think you guys are already on like have the pulse on the pulse of what bands should try to do in the future because yeah i mean i actually had a big ass band hit me up about about you guys today (laughs) um dan candy hit me about up about it was a soul like what's up what's up with them what's going on Uh, from suicide silence and i was like Dude, they're doing it all themselves. Blah blah. They're not on Metal Blade like your bitch asses. Or I'm just kidding. Um, I didn't say that. But uh, no, I was like, no, they're doing it all. Them, it's all like fucking on their own. They're like not doing the record label thing. He's like, damn, that's fucking, that's ballsy. <laughs> kind of like he was very interested. Just like Jesus, that's really cool that you know bands are doing that. And um, yeah, it's just, it's gonna take one band that's big and just bring you guys out and you're not on a label. And you and you just fucking hit the next level, like it's, and you don't have to pay the piper, like yeah, that's the, that's the goal. Like, it, yeah, it, it we probably could have taken a shortcut and signed with somebody, and then easily. Now you own our masters, and we get twenty percent. You know, and we're all broke, but like it might yeah. take longer, ten years, but then maybe yeah, we will um, get some opportunities where. Yeah, we get the whole pie, you know, yummy. <laughs> so, well, the, the cool thing with the Bandcamp thing is that the proof is in the pudding. It's like you guys, number one in all these things. It's like, all right, now, like, what? Like, we did it with no label kind of thing. And that's that's super mm-hmm. cool. Like, to me, that's, that's when I saw that, I was like, fuck, yeah. I got, like, super <laughs> excited. Then Ben hit me up. I was like, let's do the podcast again. I'm like, fuck, yeah, dude. Like, literally had, mul- I've had the most random people ask me, have you heard Zoth? And I'm like, yeah, like, dude, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, we had them on the podcast, all the shit. Like, people have been with that the, the new album. People have been like, this band's fucking incredible. What the fuck is what rock have they been? And they're doing it a different way. You probably would have known about them earlier if they were to do the big label thing and and have a master. <laughs> you know, not not for the master, but have a master. Like to yeah. to own get all drained. Stuff. Yeah, get drained and just basically have no like nowadays with like gas prices merch cuts all the things that like are are in there and then on top of it having all your sale sales gone and and taken for the label like man that's it's kind of the wave of the future and you know labels have done a lot for a lot of people and stuff and i think it's cool but at the same time it's like time to kind of you know we're now at an instant click society to get something and if you want to support a band you don't have to go to the record store like we had to do like you can actually support them instantly and just you know go to their fucking shows when they play santa cruz and how many months maybe in a couple we'll see (laughs) (laughs) so it's a scam yeah yeah (laughs) it's a fucking scam dude 
It is. Now it is. The record it, business is a total scam. It's well, it always sad. has been. It always kind well, of has been. But it, 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 you have to make your own avenues it, to make it revenue. It totally has been. But also, so I think because of the... I mean, this is an obvious statement, but the product, the medium has changed since yeah. the physical thing. And like, and so they've been holding on to it. And now it's just like digital. And it's just like, oh, shit. Just like floating in the app. And this, so this all the all the deals that were made with the streaming stuff and everything was just horrible. And like... So like back in the day, it was like, well, and also like back in the day, you like kind of needed like a, like a record label to like, you know, get, press your vinyl and like put it out there in the, you know, like in any kind of mm -hmm. way. So like the further you go back, like the more you needed that. And then like now it's like less and yeah, less, it's like less and less and less. Yeah. And exactly. so now it's to the point now where it's like, yeah, it's just crazy. It's just insane. It makes no sense. Yeah. It was you much more the balls. What? <laughs> Sorry. The ball volume. You just need balls. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and um, I think it was a lot more consolidated back then. And to a certain extent, I think that the record industry preys on people between the ages of 18 and 25 who have no <laughs> business acumen. Right. They have no money and they want to get famous. All the dreams. Right. Want to go on tour, you kid? Have a yeah, cigar. Exactly. Yeah, we like had that. We've yeah. those meetings before. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. You can yeah. form an LLC and get a loan from a bank, or you could sign away your masters and 90% of everything after the advance to a record label on a deal that has no teeth in it. Yeah. But when you're that age yeah. and you don't know, like you're just like, fine. I, I want to be signed. Yeah, but we've spent all this time figuring out the back end and the business end of it. And like, wait a minute. Where now at this stage in the game, it's like, hold on. If we need money, we're not going to go to a record label to do it. Like we have an LLC, build yeah. some credit, you go to a bank, you get a small business loan, and then you're not mortgaging the future of your band and releasing all the stuff. But, you know, it's easy for me yeah. to say now, but did I know that at 18 years old, 20 years old, 25 yeah. years old? No. So I think that um, yeah. a, a lot of musicians and bands – that age to their peril or to their fortune uh get roped into that and they are the target audiences for for labels and then they're just looking to rinse and repeat they find a sound that yeah. works that works we know how to market it we know the target audience for it we're going to find another band that looks like sounds like smells like okay if you like this you'll like this you're like and then it becomes you know That's this weird. herd mentality and then for us we're just doing our own thing so for a for a label, I can see how a label would be like, okay, mm, thrash, kind of, death metal, kind of, black metal, kind of, but it doesn't fit into the mold that we've created for ourselves and the and the thing and the niche that we're known for. Yeah, I was the exactly. guinea pig for some of that shit when I was yeah, in Warbringer. Warbringer, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I toured with them in 2009. When did you play with them? 2007 to 2009. Okay, okay. And then I, think was the, I, I think I was in the band when we played with Warbringer. Yeah, who's the guy that, yeah. the like the young kid that replaced you? Or you quit and they... Andy. Andy, that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's when we, that's when, yeah, that's, but still, they were like right in the middle of the Metal Blade thing. They had like their Metal Blade, you know, we, we were on it the was, nuclear... It was Century thing. Media, but it was the, Century it was media. the same rigmarole. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, it was like... Yeah, it, it was all just an industry plant. 
thing. Yeah, I think a lot of hate the burst the bubble. No, a lot of those uh, because we were on uh, nuclear blast at the time, and I think, and we had a guy to talk to all the time that we'd call, and you know, like, and then make us all hyped up and be like, oh yes, you know, like it was like to keep us like happy kind of thing, and then like give us you know minimal dollars, which you know you need those for food and you know living spaces. You know, usually dollars usually helps with that. Um, but they would be like, oh the, no, your next tour is with this man, and you're gonna make this, and then like. And then you don't, you know, it just would always be overhyped and then underwhelmingly um, presented when you actually had to do it. And uh, I mean, you do have to do that. I mean, a lot of bands, pretty much all the big bands nowadays have gone through the, you know, getting fucked over, figuring out a different deal and then doing something different and getting big, like the, the very small percentage of big bands. But um, for you guys, the one thing that opened my eyes with like what you guys are doing is for a band that's just fucking talented and doesn't want to do all that shit and wants to kind of get started on their own. Um, there's an avenue for that. Like for, cause you guys have, you guys can get signed to metal blade easily. Like it wouldn't even be, it would be like a fucking email to a guy that I know that works there and you guys would be fucking signed immediately. Like it's like, but you guys have come, come so far from, you know, like you're starting off going like, you know what, we're going to do some things differently. And you guys are actually kind of like paving a new road for other bands. And I mean, to me, that's the most inspiring thing. It's like you guys are like, no, I know we can get like cool Metal Blade on our, our you know, the back of our CD and stuff. And maybe get some big tours in the beginning. And then hopefully that works. And you don't fade up, fade away and into nothingness. Or you guys do it yourself and you guys are always there. And... It's just the the main thing of the work that you guys have to put in though with the the booking and the the promotion and stuff that's that's the extra thing that you guys have to put in which a lot of bands like like with Odious and us we're just kind of like we're fucking 40 like we're gonna, we're going to we we have like we're not committing yeah. to the tour life and we're just like yeah sign us like you can have control over it but we just want people to hear it you know it's like it's a different um agenda that we have than what you guys have but it's... it's the little engine that could. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I can. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. And and you guys, when I first heard you guys talk about it, I was kind of like, well, that's that's you know that's admirable, but we'll see you burning in flames later. <laughs> like, and to see you, sorry, because you, you don't really see many of these like underground bands. What other? There's a few other underground bands that have like that uh, uh, that deathcore band starts with an S. They're like labelless, and they're playing with like huge bands now, and they're like death metal, deathcore, black metal. I don't know what they're called, but um, not starts with an S. But um, I was like, oh shit, there's a band doing that on a big tour. Like I didn't think that. I thought you got blacklisted when you did that. Kind of, I was kind of like in my head. I was like, they allow them on the tour. Like, what you need the the label support, right? Like to be like, we condone this with these with our labels bands like cannibal corpse tour they were on and i was like they have no label like you know and then like you guys coming out doing it too it's like it's it's showing everyone that it, it can be done it's not like it does seem kind of like a impossible feat and that's what my brain just went to sports betting just going like all right probably 20 percent they'll do good 80 percent the it won't work out you know with like with like giving the middle finger to the system kind of thing 
and to see you guys on the number one of the charts and shit it's like fuck yeah <laughs> like you know it's like like bouncing through that and it's to me it's just fucking sick and I'm, i could talk about it all night but uh keep uh hey, that's cool. keep talking about it then yeah so thank uh, you man <laughs> thank you <laughs> oh it's sick no i've and just like yeah all you guys have been super cool and like you know tyler we got we're got our cats going ben we got our fucking like yeah. i'm kind of a bass player you're a bass player um we i've toured with warbringer and you know made zero dollars too um yeah 15 <laughs> bucks a year i make from warbringer <laughs> if i'm lucky yeah. those those what's that a sound scanner one of those like websites i remember talking to naveen about it and he uh some like certain songs that he's been on he like just typed in his name and his thing and he just like got like fifteen hundred dollars he's like what the fuck there's like a website with like royalties that you are owed to you it's kind of like one of those state websites where uh you're like oh my old great 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 grandfather passed away this day and then went to the state you can actually recover that there's a website it's called i think it's not sound scan but it's one of those um websites i bet they owe me thick and wide Dude, for Zoth going forward, I think uh I think Ben has to open up all your music videos in that pose. Oh, you haven't seen nothing yet. Fold out like the thriller. I was gonna say, I think you might be getting a sneak preview of the uh bass playthrough. Yeah. Just wait and see. Oh yeah. That's awesome, man. So I mean, a new a, a band coming up and stuff that's you know got momentum and going, and they have a label approaching them. Like, what's your what would you do if you had to do it all over again? From the beginning, Mandalorian again, back to the childhood. <laughs> if a label approached, knowing what I know now, or yes, do over again. Or like advice to younger bands that are trying to forge that path. Kind of both, half and half. Yeah. Um. Again, I was very fortunate. My uncle Michael, who was a sound man for the Ramones, and knew the industry in and out. He sat me down when I was thirteen or fourteen years old, and he explained to me how the music business works, and how advances work, and how recouping works, how ownership of masters works, and the state of band and label relationships as they were during that time. And so I, I benefited from that. And so I think just knowing that and understanding that, and then also a basic um, understanding of, of business helps like what other business is going to require or, or what other lender is going to require you to sign over your master's not as collateral but just outright and then give give them 80 to 90 percent of the revenue after they recoup what they lent you mm-hmm. it's easy for me to say now but it's hard to think of another bit maybe there is one but i can't think of another business that works that way but an, a, a you know 15 16 20 year old kid is probably not thinking about it that way but if you just put them onto that simple thing and 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 make them aware that in a lot of ways, the music industry is an anomaly in business and in lending. Um, 
I think that's a good place to start and just understanding that you do have a choice and that you can choose to try to cling on to something, to attach yourself to something for clout, for notoriety, for that badge of approval that I'm signed to, I'm signed to fill in the blank. Or you can focus on being the thing, being the band that people want to come and see and being the one and not trying to fit in with something and belong to something, but being but creating something that people want to be a part of and that people get excited about. And there's a choice there. And I think when you're young and impressionable and you're trying so hard to belong, you don't recognize that there's another way. And that, that individualistic way is a lot harder, especially when you're younger and you have those social pressures. But as you get older and you become more sure of yourself, it can be a viable path. It's not yeah, easy, yeah. but it can be done. Definitely. You don't want to sign one of those Corey Feldman, uh, Corey's Angels contracts where <laughs> I watched a documentary on he has like these girls come in and like stay with stay with him. And he's like, well, I'm going to put you out there. So anything from now on till you die, like 10 percent of it goes to me. <laughs> like yeah. it's like and, and, and I was thinking to myself, like, you know, like in when we got that unique leader contract when I was a kid, we were kids. I was like. I would, I signed it without even, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, yeah. you know, cause we were kids and I'm like, all oh, my favorite bands are on this. This is like, this is, we've, we've now made, and same with, remember on Jared, uh, Archaics podcast, he was like, we've made it. He like quit his job and shit. And like, he's like, dude, we fucking got signed a new leader. Like we're, we're now gonna be able to make music for a living. And, and then you, have to go on the first tour and then and then absorb the harsh reality that comes with like oh maybe uh rent can't get paid now or you know it's like it slowly starts whittling down and and to put the investment in yourself and start the llc and and do all that and then actually like invest in yourself which you know a lot of people use the what do they call it, recouping as like a zero percent loan but at the same time they have um the masters and they're still going to make a percentage on that. So like it, it is a 0% loan to recoup what they paid, you know, in total to your, to your album. But at the end it's, you know, they're still taking a huge chunk. It's like, a I remember as a little kid seeing this, I mean, as a younger person seeing the, uh, it was like a, a magazine talking about like what the artist makes versus what the record label makes. And it was like, the slice of the pie was like this for the artist. It was it like pretty insane, dude. Yeah, each album like you make like nineteen cents, and they get like like seven dollars, and then like you know, it's yeah. like like it's even after out. recouping. Yeah, it is. I mean, when you when you're younger and you don't know, you're basically like you have like oh shit, this this label's interested in us. You get excited because you know a bunch of bands in that label. And you're like. We're gonna share the roster with all these other bands, and you're gonna be like, we're gonna be just like them. Kind of, you know, it gets to that after you guys working your ass off, and you get their attention, and uh, and then just to understand the reality after you sign, it's like that's why a bunch of bands that are awesome, you know, get signed. And and Allegiant, remember they were talking about they signed like a five or six album development deal from uh from Metal Blade. And it was just like they got dog shit for five albums. They got like nothing. You know, it was like terrible. And then after that, six album, they got a big, you know, bunch of money to to record and stuff like that. But before that, they had to just de develop under Metal Blade. You know, I already clicked that. 
Yeah, it's predatory. Yeah, yeah, it's predatory. Yeah, it's like on your dreams. It's predatory in your dreams. It's like as a yeah. kid, you you get signed to a label, you've made it. It's like, well, you know, have a, and even have a lawyer go through it, and they explain it to you. And you're like, okay, cool. We're the yeah. Chris Hansen of metal bands. <laughs> yeah, have a seat right here. <laughs> but to keep it real, it's going to be way harder for a band like us to become a legacy band because we're much older at this point you know when it, it when you do that at 20 years old you at least have that chance yeah to to gain notoriety to really to really gain momentum and build young and then you have time on your side right yeah now for where we are you know there are other there are other stressors you know as you get older there are other things that are trying to pull you away and you keep trying to dig in as uh relationships and professions and things claw away at it so that is that is the one flip side like you can potentially mess all of that up in your early 20s do that and then kind of shortcut it and then do your own thing and still be in your 20s potentially or you could be that that legacy band you know like metallica by the time they were 30 i'm like oh man they were 30 and they already were black yeah, album you, they had all of yeah. that behind them i'm like man i know i bet that's not gonna happen it. again though that's not gonna happen again you know it's like that's like a i mean as far as like black album at 30 like the album that's still on the charts today like like that is like a, a rolling stones like band that's like still i mean they've done so much for everything it's like i mean that was always the model that was always the that was the 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 top of the mountain it was like metallica it was like you know what what have they done well you know i've i've you know uh seen things from uh slayer as far as you know what they pay out i've seen like stuff like docu or uh statements and stuff and it's like like gee like the, from when they like bring people in like to to fill in spots and stuff like man it's like it's even that doesn't seem like i make more or just as much as some people that have joined big bands you know or like doing my little dorky desk job that i do right now and it's uh it's just more of a love of the craft and you have to have a a lifestyle and a family unit that can can back that up and and have it not be a stressor for you but um yeah man i mean you guys kind of have laid the groundwork i think for the the new style of, of uh shadow of intent was the band i was trying to think of that's a band that I think that did no label. But so for you guys being no label, though, let's say a huge band hits you up and, and you want to tour. Do you, you have a booking agent or anything like that? Or do you have do you just all yourselves? Um, can't say anything right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> things are um, in progress. Things are yeah, changing. Yeah. yeah. I think booking yeah. agents are huge. I think that's a that's kind of a. A dick you gotta take. <laughs> it it's been hard to yeah. uh, to make inroads with that with no label, but we are making progress in that. Do booking regard. agents that have that you've contacted have they given you any guff for not having a record label? No. Okay, it's no. like your pool. It's your it's your draw. That's all they care about, right? <clears throat> It seems to be subjective more than anything else. Um, I mean, I imagine at some point it becomes data driven. They have to uh, 
assess like how viable is this band yeah you know but um we're making progress in that regard like it again it takes us longer because we're looking to build partnerships as we've done with as we've done with don breed we're we're trying to do this with booking we're trying to do this in different areas to like extract ourselves because that's the reality is that when you're doing everything and you start to gain in popularity like you're not spending an hour shipping you're spending many hours shipping and it just mm -hmm. stacks up so you have to find ways to to extract yourself from that um, so that could so, be like the kind of the, the thing to the future is partnerships it's um yes because, mm -hmm. because the thing is you want the band to do well you don't want the band to crash and burn under your contract um if you could just make little partnerships here and there and the band flourishes because of it then everyone's happy everyone makes money it's not exactly. like yeah. you don't you don't bury the band under a contract it's like here's a little partnership here there's a little partnership here yeah and like the yeah go ahead it's That's not like business. we're like uh we're not like you know fuck every label just suck my dick you know <laughs> but like if someone did like come to us and see what we've done and they're like well, look we can do this to get you to get you more, you can make more and um, with us on your side while we also make money and like spread the word. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like, if that's you, let us know. <laughs> but exactly. Um, yeah. You just don't want to be like in servitude to somebody and in, in debt. Yeah. You know? And like you yeah. guys have seen these contracts. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it, they have no my experience anyway the ones that i've seen the ones that i've dealt with there's no teeth in it from their end so they're mm -hmm. not like all the obligation and all the risk seems to fall on the band yeah and so that's where like we have our back end we have our numbers it's like show me your plan for making us five times bigger than we are now like if you want 80 percent of everything that comes in what's your plan for making us five times as big as we are now yeah exactly. where is that and are you willing to put that in a, in a contract that's amicable for us that is is going to hold water i think I, yeah, that's the, not how i hear those things talked about ever and maybe it's a thing and i'm just ignorant to it but that's that's the way i think about it i think it is a little predatory like you said it's like we have a name you have a band and you guys are working really hard we'd like to help you a lot and this is a cool name to put on your cd and we'll release it for you but at the same time like people aren't looking at the everything else under the sun what's going to happen and what they're going to own you know and you look at it i remember looking at my first one just been like okay that's fine that's fine not really like understanding the math and how it's worded you know like uh obviously you know have a lawyer to look it over blah 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 but um yeah i think the the partnership thing is that's I think that might be, I think that's kind of the future is partnerships. Not, it's like, we have a thing, like, check us out. We have someone this many listens, you know, like yeah. we'd like to do a partnership, mm -hmm. not like a ownership. You know, we'd like to partner with each other to make each other money. Like it's yeah. not, yeah. it's not make you money. And, and then we'll hopefully get signed to a, a better deal later on or something. But um, yeah. And, and something it. that we've come around to lately, um, yeah, that we probably should have realized earlier, but yeah. Sorry, we are I'll much more. I muted you. <laughs> He's going to unmute himself. <laughs> what are rough potatoes? This is serious business. 
Rustic potatoes? What are rustic potatoes? Rustic or russet? What? No, I, I, that's what I said. I said russet. Rustic. I'm from Idaho. They're just like those plain, the brown ones. Brown <laughs> like potatoes? Just your okay, normal. They're normal like, potatoes? You yeah, your average big brown potato is a Big brown potato? potato you, yeah. you said rustic? Straight from the source. Russet. <laughs> Yeah. Rustic potatoes are different than rustic Russet. potatoes. Right? Rustic, I don't know what the fuck that means. Okay. Rustic. Yeah, I don't okay. think that's a real hold thing. On, hold, on. hold on. Let's get let's let's go through the fucking lineup here. Woody, go. Rustic yeah, potatoes. Russet potatoes. Rustic? It's R-U-S-S-E-T. No, rustic. R-U-S-T-I-C. I don't think that's a thing. Thank you. I don't think that uh... me. Go. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Russet potatoes, you make mashed potatoes with. What, 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 what did you say? Are. Say that again. You say make again. mashed potatoes with russet potatoes. Mashed potatoes with russet potatoes, right? Are you russet. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know what are you. Thank you. Tyler, go. Yes, rustic just means like from the countryside. So when someone makes a rustic meal, it's just like shit from the farm. So I guess technically, yes. A russet potato is the actual name of the, the no, 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 Rustic yeah. potato. No, but you were just saying rustic <laughs> potatoes is a style. You rustic is that. just like you could cook any dish rustic or have a rustic lifestyle. <laughs> so a yeah, rustic yeah. meal could be like farm fresh <laughs> eggs and horse milk. Yeah, that's a general explanation for s several things. <laughs> rustic. It's not a that's type of too. potato. Like you can have fucking rustic chicken. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could. Yeah, you could. You could have a rustic, uh, you have a rustic trombone, trombone, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. You have a rustic, a rustic trombone. trombone. Exactly. <laughs> Joel, tell me, what are rustic potatoes? Rustic potatoes just seem like old potatoes. Old, old, like okay. rusty potatoes. I don't know. Okay, this woman thinks that rustic potatoes are. 100% all the time, those little potatoes that you like the little red, those white, Yukon and purple. Oh, potatoes, Yukon, Yukon those, gold, those are kind of medium. Oh. <laughs> and I was trying to say, like, russet is its own thing, those are the big ones. That those you are your take. standard potatoes, yeah. Standard potatoes, thank you. All the others are baby potatoes, like little creamer potatoes and Yukon gold. And those purple little motherfuckers that nobody gets, like, <laughs> right? They're still good though, yeah. right? Okay, so you can cook those in a rustic way, right? It's a style. Yeah. It's oh. not a type of potato, correct? Correct. All of you, <laughs> correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah correct. I, I feel correct. bad for her because she's now not on speakerphone. We can't hear her rebuttal. Hold on, we can change that. <laughs> Okay, tell us about <laughs> rustic potatoes. Mouthpiece up to the. the uh, mouth. I hate you so much right now. What? What rustic? <laughs> what? Yeah, okay, 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 calm down. If the baby potatoes are only ever really prepared in one way, which essentially they are, we all cut them up, we roast them in the oven with herbs, which is rustic, then. Basically, they're rustic potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> but she's saying post-cooked, they're rustic potatoes. Yes, yes. Post being prepared, well, preparing them in a certain but way would be out of the rustic. out of the ground. I can't go pick a rustic potato. Thank you, Anthony. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Okay, you guys have a pleasant evening. Rustic. Thank you. Oh, wait, you, ben. Ben, you, were, you were gone, dude. 
Ben, hold on. We got one more. We got one more male opinion. Ben, if you were to define what a rustic potato is, do it. Go. Well, I feel like I'd be wearing a crown while I ate it. <laughs> Very rustic of you. That's a capital potato. Is that, is that it? <laughs> ah, rustic indeed. <laughs> like a dirt floor place in Italy somewhere. No, I'm not sure. You know. Okay. Gentlemen, thank you. Carry on. Cheers. Thank you for uh, backing but, Gilbert up in his argument that he's having over. I love rustic that my favorite potato. guitar player in death metal comes up and asks about rustic dude, potatoes. I literally was like, what the fuck's <laughs> going on right now? You even muted me because you thought an emergency was happening too. Right? I know you're like, you're all, you're all, what's up with potatoes? What's going on? I'm like, we're right in the middle of like a, a conversation, then potatoes get brought up. Uh, is he still, he's still doing the Cynic tour. He's going to play with Cynic, right? He is, dude. Fuck yeah. Yeah, his Good first, his first yeah. gigs in January at the end of January. I'm uh trying to is he going overseas for that? No, dude. The first one's gonna be at the uh I I, I shouldn't say anything. <laughs> I'm not even <laughs> in the band. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Don't do Got that. Got it out of me. But okay. wherever it's gonna be, it's gonna be uh in the United States, and I really wanna be there. So yeah. And I think it's actually within our reach, Joel. So we'll talk Kitty. about it off air. Tyler, uh, what's uh, Kitty's name? I, I'm a, Mary, I'm a, Mary I'm a Jane. cat guy. I know it's not tough to be a cat guy. Oh, so cute. Yeah, <laughs> adorable. I know my cat's. He's asleep right next to my my seat right now. But he's like three times tonight. He just puts his arm on my shoulder and just grabs. He's all come. Away from the computer, dude. <laughs> <He's> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Oh yeah. So Tyler still does lessons. We. So uh, Tyler Sturgill. Dot. My website's Angel Fire. Or was <laughs> it <G-O-T>? <laughs> Tyler Sturgill yeah. Music. Dot, I'm just gonna put it in the chat. Yeah. Put it in the chat. <laughs> and it's Joel who'll make a oh, banner. to connect. Okay. Well, it's uh Tyler Sturgill Music. Dot Dot com slash lessons and you have to type the whole thing it's stupid maybe I'll and what's the, what's the what's the what's the uh promo code it's uh <laughs> no problem <laughs> it's uh well i can put it in the chat that you can um it's i'll talk to you for f- 15 minute free consultation that's your <laughs> oh nice Boom. that's cool that you so you, you like you try to figure out like what because i remember um allegiant greg one of my greatest friends i was like it was during the pandemic and i was like i got a job that was like making money and most people weren't and i was like i'll buy five lessons from you and we just like hung out and he's like what do you want to learn i'm like i don't know dude (laughs) i don't know uh scales or something i don't like i don't know what to (laughs) to, like to explain like what you need to work on i'll just play things for him see i'm doing I, i remember like i downpicked too much and I was like, I just, my, I need to work on my, like, you know, I'm not doing the crazy fucking hybrid picking like you and you and Woody are, but I'm like, uh, I, yeah, I know it's insane. That's, that shit's insane to me. I still haven't even broached that. If that's a word, but, uh, I had no idea how to explain. I'm like, I don't know. I just want to like get better. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, what do I, you know, like I know these things you have to like, how do you approach people? to like kind of get where their level is and like because i couldn't even explain i was like fuck i have like 
this dude's like tried out for Megadeth, Greg. And I'm like, like, I don't know, like, could you make this better? And he's like, I, I don't know what you want, man. Like, <laughs> what do you want? Yeah. I couldn't really explain. So how do you how do you uh assess that? I guess there's things I think everyone should do if you're serious about it. Um, and I could tell very quickly if you're doing some or none of those, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um kind of like as Joe Satriani was like yeah, was like one of the the gnarliest. Like, do all these scales on the same string, and then come back to me when you're done. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, a system you could say. Have you created your own system for learning the way that you learned? Kind of. I just like, you know, I yeah went to <laughs> MI and have done like other lessons and learned stuff from a lot of sources and kind of figured out what. Uh, was efficient for me and what made sense. Um, I learned like a lot of good stuff at music school. A lot of the teachers are like you know, very set in their ways. And like, they gave me like some horrible advice too. Um, stuff that I've like since changed. Um, so you kind of adapted it to what you've learned and how it made it kind of fun and kind of would sink into your brain. Yeah. And really it's like, I can give you as much, but like if, I could tell if you worked on it or not. Like a lot of, I've taught, <laughs> I've taught hundreds and hundreds of people, you know. Um, what do you do when they don't work on it enough? Like, what do you say to them? Just like call them out and like, no, you didn't. Like, but yeah, honestly, it sucks, especially like if you work for like a, a place like School Rock or Guitar Center or some mm -hmm. chain. You're just get, you're going to get a lot of that. And it, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, really, it's really annoying. Um, that's definitely hey, you get those rare ones that like really follow through and listen and that's what makes you like actually like it still <laughs> like how do you get into modeling school though <laughs> oh the first step is you got to be born me <laughs> yeah you got to wake up ben maybe, and then maybe you have to learn your intervals baby <laughs> yeah yeah you get that thumb down dude yeah, yep. with the intervals, number one in the metronome practice. Intervals, yeah. Dude, that shirt is legendary. Look at Anthony's frozen now. Let's, let's all look at this. <laughs> I froze him, um, bro. But no, that's that's really cool because I think everyone has different learning styles and there's different techniques to get people to be interested in things. And I think a lot of people become disinterested because they, they get teachers that teach them things that they're not really excited about right off the bat or something like that yeah. i mean you're probably learning or learning teaching people more that already know kind of what they want but i think for me when i was younger like it was like oh here's the scale and i'm like actually i'd like to learn uh seasons in the best by slayer is that cool yeah, <laughs> you know it's I, like um like when i was taking lessons when i was young i i loved music i had tons of cds and um i remember the second teacher i ever had he told my mom have her bring in a CD and then we'll learn a song. And I brought like a fat stack. Yeah. I was like, I want this, 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 this. That like rarely happens now with kids. Everyone, I'm like, what do you like? They pull out their phone like, oh, <laughs> I think I like this, you know? It, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's way harder. Yeah. Um, but again, yeah, sometimes you do get kids that still care. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So actually, Woody, for you, like you know you've gone through school as a kid like playing classical guitar you went so you went to mi or no berkeley and um after that like what do you still seek 
kind of education on guitar? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think like a lot of our best riffs came out of like a new technique, either like physical technique or music theory technique that me or Tyler or Ben are trying to work on. Yeah. Um, so for me, I just, I'm very curious about music. And whenever I hear something in a song that I don't know how to do yet, I'm like, I got to learn how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's been real cool. Like, you know, Woody's basically been my guitar teacher. <laughs> it's like the band or just that like constant like sharing of knowledge and like, oh, check out what I did. And then you got to like, yeah, yeah. Up and, like, yeah, it's yeah, been yeah. cool, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. So, I mean, who, uh, who brought in the hybrid picking to the band? Because I, I see that a lot more. I mean, not a lot more, but I see that in your band a lot uh so that that riff i i wrote that riff um and i think i was just working on my cool my friend this guy igor he's cool and i asked him i was like i want to get into like hybrid picking and fingers this is the unseen uh, abductor yes that was it okay. um and i asked him what i do and he was like learn dust in the wind uh beatles blackbird <laughs> bleed uh beatles um dear prudence learn those three songs and i just did those and then like learned a couple other ones and then like ah. Oh, Go back to what he said. Well, I learned this thing. Let's put it in a song. That's awesome. That's and then really I cool. I accidentally ripped off Kirby. <laughs> yeah. For <laughs> me, the, the, too, the hybrid picking is game? like the video game. Yeah, it sounds oh, like yeah. this gourmet race. If you listen to that, <laughs> apparently, Unseat Abductor sounds like that song from my childhood. Dude, like, uh, I, there is there's um, similarities in the two craziest things that uh, for me like when i find two different things one tim and eric's intro okay if you listen to tim and eric's intro there is a solo section in that intro that almost like probably 80 percent matches notes of a rhapsody solo sick. On <laughs> fucking I'm i think i'm wearing my i'm wearing a steve brule shirt right now you literally okay you you don't understand what you just did you and joel might understand but you just took two deep layers of me and just showed them to me dude which is yeah. one, Steve Rule, and two david lynch's eraser head dude yeah. I mean, the mashup that i love that i love that shirt so much and i'm yeah. really jealous that you have it and i don't and i need to get one now <laughs> you have to, don't tell anybody else me yeah. and you we got to talk after the show so me and you can be part of the club but everybody else get out of here <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna get that shirt though <laughs> i don't even know what we were talking about because probably like so hybrid picking, hybrid uh, picking uh, and kirby riding. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's cool so uh so even jeremy too with you like you've been playing like the ages you were saying you're playing you're like oh you know i was five you know like i was like got this and, and like so are you at this at this how old are you jeremy i'm 40 okay i'm one year off yeah yeah um so at this age are you like is there are you still finding new techniques out there for drums and stuff like that are you working on like, cause for me, I'm, I don't know drums at all, but I'll like find people doing polyrhythms and I'm like, what the, f like my brain just, I just like want to know how to do that even though I haven't started drums yet. <laughs> so 
I mean, are there things that are, are pushing you still that you're finding? Yeah, I'm just pushed in different ways than I was pushed before. I mean, when I was younger, everything that I explained before, it was faster, mm-hmm. faster, faster. Yeah, it's yeah. a speed contest. It's a, it's yep. a complexity contest. And now it's like one of our songwriting tenets, but even for myself as a drummer, it's writing stuff that's listenable, but also has some technical proficiency to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and what I've discovered is that if you have the kick on one and the snare on three or some very foundational rock beat, you can put pretty much anything on top of it and get away with it because the people that just want to listen to it can just listen to that and can lock in with that. So for me, that, that discovery um, over the last 10 years, but really the last five years, just really focusing on that is how I try to write my parts. So it's more about that than necessarily trying to play faster. I mean, doubles on the feet is like a thing that the kids pick up like this. And for me, because I've been playing so long, it's like, yeah, I can train that. It's like reverse it's, engineering. It's, yeah. And it takes me a lot longer to pick up stuff like that. So it'll get there. And I would love for it to get there because it seems like a much more efficient way to pull off some of this stuff. But um, that stuff just takes me much longer. And so I just have to put in the, the long hours, probably way longer than somebody with less experience would have to, to get way better at it. And, and then, like I said, I, I'm, I'm trying to write parts that are listenable, that are proficient. And I've really grown to like drummers and appreciate drumming. That sounds easy, but when you sit down and you try to play it, you're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than the opposite, which was what I used to do, which was like, okay, how can I play this in 17, 8 and confuse the fuck out of people? Like, that's there is, there's an art in that. For me. There's an art in that, like, uh, you know, like Rush and even Tool yeah. and things like that, like, where it's like, oh shit, that's in a fucked up time signature. I was like rocking to it, like, the whole time. Like, I had no yeah. idea. That Hell was, yeah. You know, yeah. Rush yeah. That even even Gene Hoagland, one of my biggest influences, a lot yeah. of his stuff may seem um, like it's taking a backseat to Devin Townsend or 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 Chuck or you know these these virtuosic guitar players. But then you try to pick it apart, and you're like, oh shit! Or yeah. Mike Heller's another one. Yeah, uh, who's played for Fear Factory, longtime drummer for Malignancy. A lot of his stuff sounds like. Oh yeah, I could figure it out. I could play, and then you go to sit down and try to actually do it. Like, oh. That's what G- Gabe Sieber was telling me. We were like going on our way, to, like driving to Nam from like Sacramento to LA. I remember he was like going to play in a band that Mike Heller was in or something, some black Wouldn't metal band. It. Iceland. Yeah, he was yeah. all. Oh He was yeah. like insane. He's all. It, it's annoying. Beneath. The fuck Is out it of that me. band beneath, beneath from beneath. Iceland? Yeah, I tried to pick that stuff apart too. Yeah, yeah, and and it's that sort of stuff interests me now it's like the opposite instead of like overplaying it and overtly just like showing this is how fast i am this is how technical i am this is how much i can confound you and you can't comprehend my parts this is like no if you just want to listen to kick and snare or you don't want to listen to the drums you don't want to be distracted by them i play with a fantastic bass player and two fantastic guitar players if you want to listen to them you just want me to hold it down. You can just listen to what's going on on the kick and snare. And you can do that. I'm not going to like yeah. 
pull yeah, you give away them from it, that. It's all yeah, exactly. That's like I've been in bands before where a certain instrument kind of like takes away from a certain part that a guitar player is doing, or you know, like a a like a you know drums are you know too crazy over a something like a riff that like completely clouds the riff. It's like just take the back seat, let them have their spotlight for a second. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like just like to to like enunciate what's going on in the music is is huge. You know, like I've had bass players been in bands where they're just like we're gonna just shred like bass player stuff over a guitar riff or a guitar solo or something. I'm like, well, you guys are you guys are battling now. <laughs> like like yeah yeah you know, we have those parts where the guitars jump out and then they pull back and then the bass jumps out and then it recedes and then maybe the way we're bringing the song to its crescendo it all happens at the same time we're trying totally. to craft that in an intentional way and so like it's much more about focusing on songwriting and the craft and and achieving something that's that's listenable for the folks that just want ear candy or don't want to think about it. But mm -hmm. also, if you want to intellectualize it, if you want to break it down, if you want to be challenged by it and really pick it apart on an intellectual level, you can do that too. So it's the the push and pull of those two things and and yeah. working that out and and honing that. That's the that's the thing that I'm particularly interested in as a drummer. Um and then I think as a band, that's kind of one of the, the, the themes of our songwriting, one of the, the things that the conditions that we try to fulfill and mm -hmm. when we write. I mean, it comes through. I mean, for me, see, like I'm just going to say the same thing over and over again. But seeing you guys, I was like, okay, Zoth, we'll check it out. And I was like, this seems like a, a band that should be playing humongous places. <laughs> and I'm seeing it in a tiny little room going like what the fuck this is like the sickest the fucking blue lagoon. yeah the blue lagoon <laughs> exactly <laughs> the blue lagoon on like a tuesday or wednesday or something and it was like and it was you know there was people there it was fucking it was it was yeah, rocking but i like it was a very intimate spot i could just walk to either guitar player and be like just watch in the battle solos and then the drums and the and watching the bass and shit and i was like this is insane dude what the fuck <laughs> like i was kind of like in the back of my mind, I'm like, just fucking sell out, dude, so I can see you guys all the time. <laughs> yeah, there's a beauty of make that. Make no right? money, dude. Just make no money and sell out, please. So like, you can you get feel like you know about something. You feel like you know about something that nobody else knows about, which I feel yeah. like is metalheads. We're always chasing that. Oh, totally. It becomes harder as we get older, and we've heard our four thousandth band and our five thousandth band. Like, what are you gonna Spotify and everything? We else? chase, yeah, yeah. 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 To like to, to have Spotify and not hear of you guys and see you guys live, I'm like, this is like, like the same time it was up there with like Necrophagus, like you know, like checking out like a cool band that had the the you know like for me like the battle solo thing was like, and and then you know like Tyler and and Jeremy holding it down and Woody like back and forth with with Tyler and then fucking looking over at Ben and watching his techniques and stuff, I was like. It was like overload for me. I was like, and you guys were seamlessly like battling each other on, on solos and then going right back in the song. And I'm like, that was a, such a fun little section. Like, I, had, like <laughs> I would be like smiling. It's like, I'm like, what the fuck? Looking over at Joseph, like, you said they were a kind of cool band. Like, what the fuck? I was like, mad at <laughs> and I was like going to go buy merch after. And I was like, it was like a line, and I was like, "Well, I'll just talk to him on the podcast, and I'll get merch." <laughs> <Next time." laughs> like, I was like, 
it was everyone there that was in it uh, wasn't that many people there but everyone there was like merch line buying merch and i was like fuck this is interesting this is you know usually it's like oh it's you know they're not signed it's just a band on a tuesday night whatever we'll just check them out but everyone was there like the the merch line was like kind of long and there wasn't that many people there and i was like holy shit because everyone had probably had the similar experience as i did which like you watch the band you're like oh fuck i need to buy a shirt like immediately you know like it, that, that that's what you guys gave to me and uh man that new album exogalactic yeah yeah jesus christ i've had so many people just rave and rant and i'm like i get to be that like elitist guy be like yeah i already know about it i already know yeah, i saw him at the blue lagoon yeah saw him at the blue lagoon <laughs> and we've actually talked to him on a podcast uh you can check out episode fucking three where we're talking <laughs> yeah 63 63 minus um, two <laughs> yeah that's but uh one of this shit yeah man we're pushing three hours right now and i am very glad I, like when ben hit me up again i was like i was already thinking about hitting you guys up because i'm like so just i don't want to say proud like i'm a fucking father of yours but i'm very excited for what you guys are doing it's it's very cool man and i, I thank for you me, thank like, you I had, to, I had to re-look it up because i was i forgot it i was like i gotta remember the name of that song that i just rocking out to sporecraft zero dude sporecraft oh, yeah. zero oh yeah i rocked out to that song multiple times dude this week yeah had a blast with that song dude and the rest of the album too just yeah i had a great time have... with it dude i always Sorry. what's up uh, yeah actually that's another thing i want to bring up thank you uh works of heart um the melodies with the kind of like the solo melodies i don't really explain it but it'd be like you bring a vibe and you're kind of just it sounds like it's going to be a solo it's like you're like we'll bring like a, a creepiness or like a, a mood with the uh, tremolo kind of on the high register stuff mm -hmm. and i'm just and it and it brings it brings character to that song so much like it it really like crafts a, a, a landscape that you'll you'll like maybe reach back in your childhood for or something that like it, it, it really brings back um, a lot of cool things in the melodies of, of the music. And it's not the typical melodies. It's, you know, it's not like, it's like, we call it Lovecraftian. Did we already, did, is Lovecraft, <laughs> we already talked about Lovecraft on the last rec episode mm -hmm. too, right? Is I Lovecraft think so. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You guys, Tyler, did, were you the one who, read lovecraft or am i mixing you up with somebody else yeah i've definitely read that stuff okay. all the like that, movies and i don't know i just video get games this, around like, that this like yeah this like eerie lovecraftian feel of it's like a soundscape that's that's what joel was just mentioning that i i connected to is like i now am attaching to soundscapes like yeah where you can tell they're building a world through sound on an album mm -hmm. or at least an image they're trying to give you a um a collection of images you know and and we, we touched on it earlier in the podcast with imagery and music and yeah. music videos being able to let the artist put imagery to the music for people that actually is a kind of a 
fucking pioneer aspect of the 90s where imagery could be added to music mm. but yeah um, I, I i'm loving the like the f- i love when an artist or a band can gr- grasp me and and take my hand through a journey or take me into a place and i do feel that with you guys now is it me just with the lens of knowing in my age now that i like that i don't know either way i'm still feeling it from you guys you know i i i i feel like i'm in this almost I mean, it's power metal through death metal. <laughs> yeah. Line, you know? I think that's like, where, like, Woody and I really clicked is, like, this kind of atmospheric, like, we like Balsagoth. And, like, mm-hmm. they're not the they're not the craziest guitar shredding, but, like, there's a, there's a universe, and, like, the music really supports that. And, like, I've always, like, loved video game music since I was, mm-hmm. like, a little kid. That stuff was just, like pounded into my brain um mm-hmm. i didn't really yeah. realize at the time and then like you know bands like uh goblin that does like did movie soundtracks or you know john carpenter like i always like love these horror and sci-fi movies and how the the music like supported the imagery so it's like if we did have a movie which would be like so sick <laughs> like what would the music be for like the zoth movie or like the zoth the zoth universe um and i think we always try to write like with intent like that so yeah a song like this parasitic orchestra has like these like spooky leads some like catchy parts very like cinematic or sportcraft zero it's very like spacey you know and Mm. that's like a really cool way to write versus like yeah this is Fret five, fret six, fret one. It's like I <laughs> want to this. take you on a journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and at least for me, like film scores are some of my biggest melodic mm-hmm. inspiration. Totally. Like I think about the first time I saw the Lord of the Rings movies, mm-hmm. and it's just like those songs stick in your head too. Yeah. That's like part of what makes it so great. Yeah, you hear the Shire theme now, like even without seeing the movie, it like. Oh, you get goosebumps. It like it has that nostalgic mm-hmm. sound back home at the Shire, or you know. Uh, I talk about that a lot. With like, if you were to like a big scene in Lord of the Rings, if you were to play like a circus song, like, da, 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 like the whole soul would be gone. <laughs> like it would just be like oh, a weird. Yeah. Everyone would just be like, "What the fuck?" But like, it could be like a normal scene, and and music will come and accompany it accompany it and then you'll be like emotional you're like oh shit exactly yeah. heavy like, you hear the uh yeah you hear like the halloween theme song or something yeah yeah it's almost like more known than the movie itself you know totally. it is right? that's very true that's very you true hear, like yeah basil Paladoris, like conan the barbarian or Starship i think the troopers music like it's just like yeah the music's just as important as the it negotiates uh, your film. feelings and it's like how it's like there's certain movies i'll watch that are like even cheesy and i'll be like oh whatever and then like the, the music will take me into the mood of what they're you're supposed to be feeling and you're like oh i'm feeling it now but if it was like like i said if it were just going to a fucking spawn obsession song in the middle of it or like a song that doesn't make any sense with the scene then you'd be like 
huh, I don't, whatever. It's, next scene. it's crazy <laughs> how big of a difference. I got the movie Legend, uh, uh-huh. the 80s. There's like the US version as Tangerine Dream soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It's like all synth. Yeah. And the European one as Jerry Goldsmith, a uh, very like famous composer. And like, if you watch, it feels like a different movie, even though it's the same movie, but the music oh, just cool. like totally. Some I people hate one, some no, people like the other, but like I think they're both worth watching and listening to. So what are the two? What are the two? What are the two? So I can go down the American the American version of Legend is Tangerine Dream. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And the European version is Jerry Goldsmith. Interesting. And it just yeah. changes your moods at certain points. Oh, it's crazy. Like- and yeah, I was yeah, on yeah. YouTube the other day. Someone t- took um, the Lord of the Rings music and like put it over the old '70s cartoon, or it was like I think maybe kind of goofy in the cartoon, and then just like yeah. totally, totally changed it. So I think I, now we, we don't have about, visual, but yeah, yeah. Now yeah. it's make, this is making me think about the directors of movies before they were able to put sound to movies, and then they're able to they now they can put the audio to the film and having that explosion of oh shit i can totally now guide the audience to feel the way i want them to feel during these scenes because Mm -hmm. if you watch anything you've watched so many different i know that any of us out of all of us have seen some clip of a show that was had a laugh track that the laugh track was taken out and then you realize yeah the laugh where are you supposed to laugh you know (laughs) know. it it doesn't it doesn't make sense most of those shows suck once the laugh track is taken out oh they're terrible because you're 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 told what to do it's like it's like do this right now this is funny so the music is or not just music just sound in general added to moving pictures mm-hmm. then that gives the director so much more power on the viewers emotions when they're, Soon they're just gonna be able to like type in like an ai be like make me feel sad right here pretend i'm in a forest and i'm sad <laughs> like there'll be like flutes and shit and like birds chirping yeah what do you, so we'll, we'll wrap this up with the last question so ai what do you guys think about the ai music thing that's going on and, and people can just basically not create but type and create there's like you know online we've talked about it before like there's a non-stop archspire ai bot that's on mm-hmm. youtube it's just like 24 hours a day there's a mashuga one there's Beatles. There's all all these like basically music that's being made by, you know, um, what do you call uh, remote learning? No, no, it's machine learning. Yeah. Um, like like doing machine learning and and basically like basically making music based on what it influ- or is given as influences. What do you guys think is like is that a threat to music? Are you guys? Hell no! I could care less. There's only one of me. <laughs> right. Honestly, I could care less. Give it, give it its best shot. Come at me. I don't care. Dude, you want to fight robots, dude? Terminator Two ended. Actually, kind I mean, of. Robots lost, so that's fine. Yes, right? they did. 
with, with the human heart always wins. That was a nice confidence, season. dude. And and if Terminator actually happens, dude, I want Ben fucking front line on my fucking army. Ben dude. Connor. <laughs> <laughs> you actually come with me if like you want to slap. You look like him with a beard, dude. Ben has an impressive uh, T two tape collection. Well, who's the who's the kid in Terminator? Edward Furlong. Exactly. Yeah, Edward Furlong. It's uh, what's his name in the movie? John Connor. John Connor. Jesus Christ. John Connor. It's my favorite movie of all time. I can't think. Slap of Connor. <laughs> Fucking Miles <laughs> Dyson. Piece yeah. of shit. <laughs> Miles Bennett Dyson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when his when he gets shot and his wife goes miles, <laughs> and then he rips. That's when he rips off the arm, right? And just yeah, listen to me very carefully. And then he went. So on yeah, I could care less. Wild. The hell with it. But after that was wild and crazy kids. That arm yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that opened the door for him to get on that show. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I mean, yeah. It just seems like things like this move at an exponential rate and i don't know it scares me a little bit yeah i think it'll get to a point like it will be hard to distinguish but like yeah there's like a lot of cool looking ai art and stuff that's crazy yeah. but i don't i'm not really moved by it you know like totally but it's i have different. had nights where i'm sitting there on one of those things like coming up with funny stuff and like entered and i guess it's cool like have that thought and have yeah something do it for you instantly but well the way that can change your brain though is that where if someone was like you know you didn't know where it came from and it says it's in the vein jesus cat just sounds like i'm down but no it's like one of those things where it's like a where you take wine connoisseurs or vodka connoisseurs and you like vodka you do some no they're one of those people no no, no. you could you, vodka you can put through like uh you know the the water Brita. the water so Brita filters the vodka you got to put it through the Brita, dude. but then the thing is you blindfold them and you give them their what they know because they've been doing it their whole life and they think the Brita plastic bottle is good like they're blindfolded like if you didn't know if your favorite artist was like came out with a piece of art and you're like fuck yeah this is sick and it's like oh actually jk it's ai yeah well i then think like, like now that like the whatever max something the norwegian or swedish guy that writes like all the pop hits there's like yeah, a handful yeah. of those people that yeah. will that will be ai for sure yeah yeah like I'm, i know i have it's no gonna doubt be... yeah we're just gonna... it already yeah. is yeah yeah i thought like techno music i'm like yeah it's like robot stuff whatever it's transformers fucking and now it's just gonna be like robots writing music i want to listen to all the time and i'm like fuck I don't even know where this is ending. You know, it's kind of, I don't know. Let's just keep it exogalactic. I don't think in this, in this. AI has actually written something <laughs> you want to listen to all the time. Even, I mean, it's brand know. new. Yeah, give it 10 years is all I'm saying. That's, you know. Nah. Spotify is already kind of working on that. If you, like, dig into uh, some of the AI research they've done on stuff, they assign scores to, like, different aspects of their songs. So they'll be like, this song has a danceability score of seven and stuff like that. What's our danceability score? Probably like uh, 69. I'll figure it out. Yeah, 69. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> He's all, it's 69. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck yeah, dude. Part two was sick. 
I fucking yeah. love you guys. You're uh, thank you. Thank you. Cool, cool bands. That's you know, like I said, a million times, but um, a real cool thing for people to look up to that are you know not knowing what to do, not wanting to sign to a label right away. I mean, obviously, like you said, it's predatory, so you want to sign to a label. But uh, you guys are very influential to me in the the realm of doing things on your own and actually doing them on your own and not just saying like we're independent and actually like charts are moving because of you guys and i think that's fucking awesome and uh thanks for coming on again guys yeah thanks for having thank me thank you thank you, you, thank you guys so much sick as fuck i had a great time yeah. and uh support zoth we just talked about how DIY they are go support them and again at Bandcamp right is it's yeah, zoth.bandcamp.com exogalactic the new album extreme technical death black and power metal thrash that's very accurate <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah where I always tell you guys go battle porch coffee Cali Death Podcast BigCartel.com, Generator Rehearsal Studios.com. Uh, have a awesome weekend, and we will see you next weekend. All right, love you guys. Peace out, everybody.